I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube, 7 a.m. Monday morning, just as we will be every single week during the NFL season. It's time, man. We are back. I said it's time again. I you did. did? Yeah. Just another uh, check to, to Bruce Buffer. It's all right. I'm sorry. I'm just working off that week one adrenaline here, Sam. Working off the adrenaline. I forgot about the... About the adrenaline rush in week one. There's so much going on. The four o'clock hour hits. All the games are coming down the wire. We get to talk about all of it today. Mm, you're still wired, you know, yeah. all the way up. Yeah, I'm ready to go. Cool. I was up early. I was up early this morning. <laughs> barely slept last night. Because we got a full show. We got to go game by game. Does anyone else go game by game? I don't know. Maybe they do. Good morning football doesn't do that, right? They probably don't. We're going head to head. I like to remind people. We're going head to head with good morning football live on a Monday morning. So we don't care. We're going. Let's go then. All right. Let's get into it. Let's start. As always, uh, we gen- we usually go back to Monday night. Uh, sorry, Thursday night football. You guys might end up start covering it on the uh, the Friday show here, but we haven't yet. So mm. so let's do that. Lions twenty one, Chiefs twenty. Way back Thursday night, and uh, look, Lions with a big win here. Yeah, they grind it out late and pull off the victory against the defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs. Shocked the world, only you know not so much. Um, yeah, look, we speculated at the time that Travis Kelsey wasn't going to play. They, I think, they gave him a shot, and they were like, "Nah, it's not going to work." So Kelsey didn't play, which left Kansas City for the first time, right, with with Patrick Mahomes a quarterback, Kelseyless. Yeah, I would know. He had played without Kelsey for a game or two here and there. Had he? I think there was a wasn't COVID that the first game. game that Kelsey had missed since. There was a COVID game, I think. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but this is, I believe it's the first time there was no Travis Kelsey, no Tyreek Hill. Right. Um, and look, I think Mahomes played fine. The second half stats were not great, but there was a lot of passes that should have been caught. Yes, Mahomes. Including on the comeback attempt, Kadarius Tony, of course, with one of the worst games of all time. <laughs> yeah, Mahomes making some magic happen and the receivers not. Um, yeah, it was fascinating to see the sort of, because they had the whole collection of wide receivers and almost all of them were bad. Um, and, and when you sort of look at how, well, like what the playing time was, right? So of those receivers... Sky Moore played almost the entire game. Marquez Valdez-Scantling played almost the entire game. And then the next guys up were Richie James, Rasheed Rice, uh, Justin Watson. Kadarius Tony only played 16 snaps and somehow managed to conspire to have one of the worst receiving games of all time in that time. Um, Two drops, ran a wrong route. And the drops, of course, they weren't just drops. Right. They when ended you, up in a pick six yeah. by Brian Branch, and they were also on the – I think it was the opening play of that comeback attempt where he's wide open in the middle of the field. And then Justin Ross with his six snaps. Um, yeah, like, so in a funny way, uh, that was a terrible game from Kadarius Tony, and there's nothing you can say to change that. But I'm less worried about that than the performance from Sky Moore, who played the entire game and barely saw the ball come his way ever. 
like right at the end, he actually had a nice catch, and then it was negated by a holding call. But the fact that he played like the most of any of these receivers and basically didn't have a catch. I mean, Weren't they just running point. him on jet sweeps the whole time? No. I mean, he was running some routes that could have, should have gotten targeted and didn't. The fact that he never saw the ball, I think, is a much bigger problem because theoretically – he was supposed to be your high-volume guy. Like, he was supposed to be the Juju Smith-Schuster of this offense. Juju got volume in this offense last year. Um, really, when you're looking at that performance, I mean, Valdez-Scantling was fine. He's the player that he normally is. You know what you're going to get from him. The player that you would want to go after from that group is, like, Rasheed Rice might become their number one receiver very quickly simply for a lack of other options. You could tell. I mean, we talked during the preseason the way they fed Rasheed Rice, liking his yak ability and everything. And um, he had one pass that he, you know, a little off target that he maybe could have hauled in. But other than that, Rasheed Rice was pretty solid. Something to keep an eye on looking like, full, going forward. He got five targets on 12 routes. Sky Moore ran, what was that, 31 routes and saw three targets. Now there's an extra one in there on both columns for that negated play. But still, like... That is impressive futility in terms of running and, and not getting featured at all. Rushi Rice and, to be fair, um, Kadarius Tony were at the other end of that spectrum. Not running much, but actually featuring good, good in one uh, player, bad in the other. So the Chiefs looked like, hey, same old Chiefs. They're still going to move the ball. Mahomes looked very good in the first half. A uh, couple touchdowns in there. But in the second half, it was the Kadarius Tony drop that leads to a pick six by Brian Branch. And the Chiefs' defense, at the end of the day, they only allowed 14 points without Chris Jones. Now, at the same time, at the end of the game, could have used Chris Jones because sure. the Lions had to run the clock out. They had four plays to run it out, and they did it. Um, other key plays from a Lions perspective, Dan Campbell with a fake punt on his own 17. That led to the first touchdown drive back in the first half. There was a play in the second half where he does punt on fourth and three from the 40. Doesn't end up coming back to bite them, but with the game on the line, fourth and one or two, whatever it was, David Montgomery picks up the first down, and the Lions go home and win it. They don't put the ball back in Mahomes' hands for the comeback attempt. Um, a lot of people asking about the Jameer Gibbs usage. We asked a lot of questions about how they're going to use Jameer Gibbs. There was some jet sweep stuff. Um, David Montgomery got the majority of the carries there, and it felt like there was a reason. You know, Jameer Gibbs had two really, really good runs on that sweep that they ran. The you know, pin and pull sweep. When you put Jameer Gibbs in space, he looked special. He forced six missed tackles on just mm. seven carries. But there was also a play right up the middle where he kind of had a hole and danced around a little bit. It looks like the Lions don't completely trust him in the full run game just yet. And they're using him on plays that play to his strengths. End of the day, that's probably a good way to ease Jameer Gibbs into it. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to have seen some more from him, particularly given how effective he looked carrying the ball in that game. Like, wasn't just the stuff in space and getting him, you know, the, the kind of gimmick plays that we thought they were going to manufacture and force feed to him in the game. When you just handed him the ball, he looked dynamic and dangerous and capable of making some big plays. My overall takeaway from this game is give the way the result ended, it means nothing. It only would have meant something, I think, if the Lions hadn't managed to win that. Like, Kansas City was shorn of so many important players. You had to win that if you're Detroit. Like if you had, if you'd somehow conspired to fail to beat the Chiefs, even when they don't have Kelsey and Chris Jones, and there's a couple other guys banged up, and receivers are dropping everything, Mahomes is trying to, to get to you, you know, and the tackles are, are doing what they're doing, that would have been bad. So all you can do is get that win and then get out of there, and then I look, 
nobody cares that the Chiefs were missing all those players, like the you know them talking about there being an asterisk in this win. Like nobody remembers that stuff at the end of the season. There's no asterisk attached to it. It's just you had to get that win because this was a depleted Kansas City side. If you can't beat them when they're that depleted, how are you supposed to beat the best teams when they're not depleted? Yeah, I mean. If you're the Lions, if you're a Lions fan, you take the win, man. You're yeah. excited. And Dan Campbell, again, making some decisions, you know, to, to they ran the ball effectively at the end to secure the win. And those are the types of things that the Lions had not done for many, many years. Right. So um, that part was important. So I thought it was a good win by the Lions. I thought Jared Goff played solid. Uh, a lot of fun play calls from Ben Johnson and the ability to move the ball. I think if you're a Chiefs fan, you know, you're probably going to, you know, Mahomes was fine. He was like a magician again, avoiding sacks. Played a good game overall. Wasn't as good in the second half. Also, those weird play calls where they're running the the bell dozer, you know, faking the QB sneak, running an end around to Rasheed Rice. A lot of that trickeration stuff for Kansas City sometimes blows up in their face. This is one of those games where that happened. You know, I don't think it's time to panic if you're the Chiefs, and I think you're excited if you're the Lions because you're competing with the best teams in the league no matter who's on the uh, on the field. I think the Chiefs definitely need to figure out a solution to the QB sneak that they don't want to run with Mahomes. Like, ever since Mahomes hurt his knee in a sneak, they don't have him under center, you know, trying to jam himself into an A-gap, which is fair enough. But in a world now where, you know, double-cheek push is basically unstoppable, albeit it stopped, it's, somebody stopped it this week, but in that landscape where it's essentially a, it's a free conversion if you do it properly, they won't do that. Like, they're trying to get creative to find a way of not doing that. They need, even if it's taking Mahomes off the field and putting on a backup who you don't care is going to be murdered in the A-gap, fine. But you, ha- you can't, anytime you get to that sort of short thing, you can't be dialing up some weird creative thing to not do the obvious answer. All right, that's Thursday Night Football. Lions 21, Chiefs 20. Let's get to the 1 o'clock slate. But first, as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family. How to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Well, Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fall is, I'm sorry, Fabric is designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy, and it's all in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states, subject to uh, prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Now, hmm. full disclosure, I'm reading this on the wrong tab. Oh. And I'm reading the fantasy reads, and it was, you know, they have a different promo code. Almost read theirs, but I remembered ours. People don't realize I was able to pivot on the fly there. It's not easy. Not easy being a a professional ad reader. It's not easy being professional. All right, where do we start? Let's start with... It's not easy being professional. It's not. Let's start with Bengals-Browns. Oh. Right here. It's like, uh, it's a little tense in the booth today Mm. with a Browns fan and a Bengals fan. Happy Tyler. Happy Tyler. Tyler, our producer, and Tyler, the guy that thinks he's Tyler when we say Tyler. 
who's also a Browns fan. That email we got in. Oh, right. Yeah. And uh, potential winner of the Madden codes, by the way, if you're in here right now, Tyler thinks he's going to win one of the five Madden codes in our Discord. So you go to the YouTube link, you get to join our Discord, and today, Monday, September 11th here, we are going to give away five Madden codes in our Discord. Wow. How about that? Cool. Yeah, there's a, there's a channel to drop your uh, platform and your um, whatever gaming handle, gaming tag, whatever they call that thing. Uh, yeah, the Discord, we're going to try and start integrating that into the show a little bit more. Maybe have a question of the week from the Discord, try and get the picks from people in the Discord. And we'll, talk, we'll bring those up during the preview show as well. So um, there's a lot happening in there, a lot of ideas floating around. We'll try and make that as good and interactive a spot as possible going forward. So get in there. All right, Browns 24, Bengals 3. Just an absolute beatdown. It, it was just a low-scoring game overall. Mm -hmm. There's also rain. Mm -hmm. All right? You quick know what that PS means. Quick PSA. It's not throw it out. Just understand context when you're like, oh, no, the sky's falling. This offense is terrible. Nobody can move the ball. Like, you just watched the game in the rain where guys couldn't catch the ball. Yep. In little hand, Joe Burrow couldn't throw the ball. Little All right? Joe. He only has nine-inch hands. We completely missed that Can't in our believe. analysis. Can't believe The ball completely that. slipped out on one pass by Burrow. We forgot about the nine-inch hands in the rain. Wow. But, you know, for, for your fantasy analysis – you know, all of our smart EPA people. Oh, the EPA was bad. Can you adjust EPA for the rain? Can you just please add some context here before you start trashing offenses? Yeah. You all know, right. You know how you do that? Throw it out. Just throw, throw it out. out. Get rid of it. Doesn't mean anything. All right. Well, we're not going to throw this game out because a lot of interesting things happened, especially from that Browns defensive line and with the Browns running game. But uh, Cleveland wins 24-3. to uh, Bengals offense is inept. But also the Browns' defense, man. That defensive line, night and day this year compared to last year. They're moving guys around. I'll talk about that in a second. But what are your, what are your initial thoughts here on this Browns' 24-3 opening day win? Yeah, I mean, obviously impressive by the Browns. Um, certainly that defense. Like, their, their defense looks different under Jim Schwartz. And look, it's not like they just brought in a new coach and everything's changed. Like, they have different players in there as well. Like, Zadaria Smith provided the compliment to Miles Garrett that was never there last year, or at least all barely there, the occasional Jadavian Clowney um, flash of, of substance. But Miles Garrett had six pressures. Zadarius Smith had six pressures. Um, that's the kind of compliment that they absolutely needed. Dalvin Tomlinson had a couple. Like They had extra players chipping in with that presence and impact up front, and that's huge because now you've got consistent pressure coming, which means the secondary – which is stuff full of good players, and it didn't look like it last year, those guys can actually show up and perform and play at a higher level because the ball's got to come out quicker because they don't have to cover for as long. That Browns defense could absolutely be legit this year and maybe the unit that we thought they were going to be a year ago. Yeah, it's not just the names that you mentioned, Sam. They also they were moving Miles Garrett around. We saw that early in the game, and uh, – it was only four snaps, but there were four snaps where Miles Garrett was playing inside linebacker. He had not done that at all. His previous six years in his career, he'd only done it 21 times. So it's a very small sample, but this was the Browns have the ability because of Zadarius Smith and Oboe and some of the moves they've made this offseason. They have the ability to actually move Miles Garrett around, create mismatches. On the four snaps where Garrett lined up as an inside linebacker, there was a sack and three incompletions. I mean, just that ability up front by the Browns to create havoc. And, uh, and then Miles Garrett, on top of that, I, we mentioned on the preview show, his matchup with Orlando Brown Jr. Look, 
I'm not low on Orlando Brown Jr. I think he's got a track record of being pretty good, no matter what Chiefs fans tell you. Or He is a good left tackle. He is a fine pass protector. He is always overmatched against Miles Garrett. And Garrett was, I mean, taking a 360-pound man and throwing him into Joe Burrow's lap. That's going to happen again later this year when they play each other. But other than that, Orlando Brown's not bad. He's fine, but he struggles in this Miles Garrett matchup. So the Browns won this thing up front. In addition to, Joe Burrow looked rusty. The Bengals' offense looked out of sync. The Browns' defense deserves credit. I think there's a lot of things at play here. But to me, the biggest story of this game is the Browns in their defensive front, uh, rain game or not, looking night and day different from last season. No, absolutely. I mean, you look, even if you just look through, so Kadarius Toney with one of the worst receiver games of all time scored more fantasy points than T. Higgins, who had seven targets come his way and didn't catch a single one of them. And when you go through those seven targets, it's not like T. Higgins was out here dropping everything that came his way. Um, He was either blanket covered or the ball was being forced out early and in not necessarily you know, advantageous directions by that Browns pressure up front. Like, that's exactly what we're talking about. The combination of that pressure or just the good players on the back end meant that that connection had nowhere to work. Like, uh, Burrow got some passes away to T. Higgins, but could not connect, or sorry, uh, to, to Jamar Chase, but could not connect with T. Higgins at all during the course of the game. Um, and it, you know, wasn't because T. Higgins just suddenly became a bad player. Browns were physical. You know, they were making every throw difficult. Um, and then I, th- I think from a Burrow perspective, he was clearly off yesterday. And there was a couple plays where there was just awful miscommunications. Mm-hmm. There was at least three miscommunications in there. There's other plays that looked like he's just working the wrong side of the field. And, and again, I, we missed some of this. We, he, he hasn't practiced, right? Burrow hasn't practiced. And the same way Deshaun Watson looked a little rusty last year, maybe not right off the bat, but just generally in the, in the stretch run, Burrow was off. He wasn't seeing the field well. Um, when, so when things were uncovered, Burrow wasn't seeing it. And then when he you know, was making the right read, Browns were covering it up pretty well, and there's nowhere to go. So I think Cleveland deserves credit, and I also think the Bengals and you know, Burrow in that pass game, they were just off too. And then it was rainy, and it was tough to throw the ball. When he did have open throws, he's missing them as well because he wasn't throwing the ball effectively in the weather. I think it was Twitter, but somebody asked, um, have we noticed an increase in rust, essentially? Crappy week one play from offensive players since teams started this approach of, like, let's not risk the starters during preseason ever. Do, what, do, 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 do players actually need some period to knock the rust off before the regular season starts? Because... There does seem to be some of these games where it just doesn't look like those players. I don't. I don't remember last. I don't. Rem, I don't remember week one off the top of my head last year that it was that bad for offenses. But there was definitely a point, like by um, when you're watching Scott Hansen in red zone, and I think you're at halftime in most of the games. He's like, "There's been 12 touchdowns today. Right. Three of them were by rookies at that point. There was 12 touchdowns today." I think it just happens, right? This happened. Like, we, we hit like week seven. It's like, ah, it was kind of a defensive game. Not a lot of points scored in the one o'clock games, right? Also, you have that feel sometimes. It just it shows up. I also wonder if, if there's a – because you see a lot of times teams go, well, okay, they need some kind of tune-up, you know, before the season. So let's just give them like a drive. It's like we'll, do, we'll run the whole simulation of getting ready for game day and then we'll give them a game and then they go out there and they execute one drive and they sit down. I wonder if they do need like – an extended period like even if you 
play them one game in preseason, but in that one game, give them a half, like give them a substantial amount of playing time to get, get through all of that crap and then get out the other side and, okay, you risk them, but it apparently actually makes a difference so you don't have games like this. Uh, look, it's not, a fair... Not that that was an option for Cincinnati, by the way, with Burrow's injury. It's not like, you know, they voluntarily kept him on the sideline during preseason. The guy had a calf injury. No, I mean, it's a fair question. I just, I don't know if that's really the case. The other, the other thing is here. We didn't... Do did we throw overreaction in the title? We're supposed to overreact to things. Mm-hmm. I think there are certain things where the overreaction is warranted today okay. in week one. There well, are the, other things where it is not warranted, and we'll make sure that we identify those things. Yeah, so on my notes, I highlighted games that I think will be massively overreacted to this week. This is one of them. This one will absolutely be overreacted to, and um, I'm not going to do it. This is not a game I'm going to overreact to from the Bengals' perspective. I will not overreact, but I, I, I do believe this is a good Browns team. Yeah. Based off of this game. I believe that this game showed that the offseason moves that the Browns made, defensive personnel, defensive coordinator, um, the way they ran offensively, their their zone scheme looked fantastic. Nick Chubb was great. Uh, Dewan Jones comes in. He's still yeah. good in pass protection. The rookie right tackle coming in for Jack Conklin. Who might be the starter now. Yeah. So I, I, I think from a Browns perspective, it's real. From a Bengals perspective, I want to reiterate – through the last three years of Zach Taylor as head coach, they've had these games. This is not new for the Bengals. They have had duds for games and always bounce back. The duds often happen against the Browns. They, they happen against the Jets. Joe Burrow is 0-4 against the Browns in his career. The yeah. man, he's like a play or two away from being 4-0 against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and he's 0-4 against the Browns. Yeah, and it, it, look, last year the, the Bengals started 0-2. They're, you know, Burrow had he was. They lost to the Steelers week one. They lost to the Cowboys. They couldn't block up front and the whole thing. And they and the Bengals bounce back. I'm not saying it's happening next week against the Ravens, but the Bengals are going to bounce back and yeah. they're going to be fine. So I'm not overreacting from a Cincinnati perspective, and I'll react pro- appropriately for the Browns and give them credit and say they are a team that people need to be looking at. Yeah, no, that that part I think is definitely real. Like, I've been talking up Miles Garrett as a defensive player of the year candidate now, as has been the case in the last few years. That's going to be a pretty tough race to win. I mean, Aaron Donald looked like Aaron Donald again this uh, week one. Micah Parsons last night absolutely annihilated the, the, uh, the, the New York Giants offense. There are going to be a lot of guys. T.J. Watt was dominant. That defensive player of the year shortlist isn't going to be a shortlist. It's going to be a long list. But Miles Garrett look like, looks like he belongs not just on it, but right at the top. And even in this game, like the game that or the, the play that basically completely ended it, Garrett gets a sack uh, to force turnover on downs, beats not just the right tackle, but the running back who was in there trying to chip and stop it happening, just runs through both of them, ends the play. You know, they cut to the booth, and the Bengals coaches are just like head and hands. Like, I don't. What am I supposed to do about that? Yeah. I tried to take care of him, and he still made the play anyway. Garrett is going to be dominant. That defense across the board, I think, looks so much better than a year ago. And for that reason alone, the Browns are going to be like real, really difficult to to beat. Deshaun Watson didn't necessarily look like you know old version Houston Deshaun Watson, but it was better than a year ago, and. Even if it wasn't, because the defense is so much better, it's going to look better. Like, he's in better positions more often. Yeah, he missed some throws in the, in the rain again. But Throw there's also this ability of, um, 
he might not be as dynamic as he was before. He's trying to escape and not getting there, whatever it might be. So just something to keep an eye on. But I think the Browns won this game despite not having a great pass game. They win the weather game, but they won the, they won the battle up front. But the last thing to, to mention is let's just spend a little second talking about that Dewan Jones thing because I, I think I called this but never put a week on it. Like at some point, Jack Conklin was probably going to get hurt because he does. And having Dewan Jones there to potentially step in as what looks like a perfectly good caliber starting right tackle. Now, look, it's, it's his one game, less than one game, plus preseason. But they gave him a, an insane volume of work in the preseason. Like, he played the entirety of the Hall of Fame game, and then they kept playing him. He played, I think, more snaps than anybody else in the NFL over the course of preseason. They were giving him work, and he looked good doing it. He gave up, I think, like a pressure over the course of preseason. Don't think he gave up a pressure at all against the Bengals yesterday. Um, Dewan Jones in the fourth round might be not just, I mean, he might be the start. They might not get the job back to Jack Conklin. Like this might be Dewan Jones' job now going forward. I fired through some of his plays. He's not as good as Jack Conklin right now. No. He's not even close. But he is a, he's comparable in pass protection. His grading profile coming out of this game is going to look similar to the preseason where Dewan Jones is excellent in pass protection. The run game, though, he's not always blocking the right guy. He's not quick for their zone scheme. Hmm. So they got to find a way. Like, Dewan Jones was not good in the run game. He's just He doesn't get to certain blocks. So they have to find a way to work around that as far as the run game goes. But in pass protection, Dewan Jones is fine and is, is very impressive for a rookie. There's a lot of these players, when you see guys like him, and let's face it, there aren't that many guys like him, but when you start thinking of like massive offensive tackles, you generally assume they're better in the run game than, the pass, than in pass protection. It's actually often the exact opposite because, because there's a lot of uh, run blocks in today's football that require like stupid levels of quickness and athleticism to get out and get in position to make um, plus, the assignments are actually complicated sometimes. But from pass protection, it's A, relatively simple, like the movements are all the same, and B, when you're that freaking huge, you can win ugly a lot easier. Like, you can be in trouble but still be able to just muscle or because of your size, the guy can't get all the way around you anyway and you just about hang in. And I think Dewan Jones is really good at being able to do that. Like, he's such a problem to get around, through, or over that he's going to win a ton of reps where if it was the run game, he would be in, he would, it would be screwed up, right? Like, the, the play wouldn't work because he's losing just enough that the gap would be broken. But in pass protection, he's hanging on enough for it to, make, for it to function. All right, Jaguars 31, the Colts 21 Jags pull it off late, 14 points in the fourth quarter. They made it close with that, um, not fluky, but DeForest Buckner with an excellent win, forces the fumble. I mean, that was kind of fluky, that play. Well, the play itself was great, the forced fumble by DeForest Buckner. Not the Buckner's fa- part of it, the, yeah. the second part. Yeah, the fact that the ball laid on the turf and nobody picked it up. No, no, they did pick it up. So I think it was Tank Bigsby, who, by the way, had a weird game. Tank Bigsby, I think, had two plays that were like horrific turnovers uh, and then had one nice play later on to sort of fix it a little bit. So DeForest Buckner breaks through the line, forces a fumble, ball comes out. Bigsby just walks over to it, picks it up, and just stands there like, play's done. I just picked the ball up, waiting for, like, you know, whistles, blah, blah. They let it play on. The guy just runs up behind him, punches it out again, and Buckner dives in the ball, picks it up, scoops, and scores. 
Now, they reviewed, I think they reviewed it. They had to review it, scoring play. Um, I feel like when a guy picks the ball up and just stands there looking gormlessly that, like, the play's over, and that has to be giving yourself up, I would, I would say. I feel you can't then just run up behind him, punch the ball out, and be like, nah, it's still alive. Play on. Well, they let it But happen. that's exactly what they did. So that was one of the three touchdowns for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, I thought the big story here, certainly early on, Trevor Lawrence looked really sharp, and as did Calvin Ridley, making his return to the NFL. You know, Again, we highlighted the matchup with the Colts cornerbacks coming in. And Zay Jones was very good, but Calvin Ridley with the nine catches for a buck twenty-five. You know, we uh, sorry, eight catches for one one. There was a negated catch in there, but when they signed Calvin Ridley as a, you know, he's going to be back when he comes back from suspension. Let's just grab him real quick on the cheap. Such a good and move. This was the Jags picking up their wide receiver one. I, you know, we'll see if Ridley keeps it up as he's probably a low end wide receiver one, right? I don't think he's your Tyree Kill or A.J. Brown or anything, but, man, he showed out in week one, and you saw just how important having that connection is for Trevor Lawrence in that pass game. That cost them a maximum compensation of a 2023 fifth-rounder and a 2024 second-round pick. Absolutely. Like, that's the total steal for a guy who stepped in seamlessly to be their number one receiver, like, immediately. And that, the fact that he was able to be the number one guy – you know, get that kind of workload, 11 targets, get 100 yards, make plays after the catch, make plays at the sideline, all those things. That has that knock-on effect, that dream scenario that you keep talking about of now you get to move everybody down one. And Zay Jones, you're sort of reminded, when Zay Jones is like your number one option, you're like, God, our receiving core kind of stinks. Zay Jones, our number one receiver. When Zay Jones is number two or number three, you're reminded that that dude actually makes a ton of plays. It's like, he's good. He's just not a number one guy. It's like Jacoby Myers, right? As soon as he's not the alpha, you're like, that dude's a good playmaker. So Zay Jones makes like an insane catch, you know, right in the corner of the end zone. Great play. If he had to do that every single play, you'd be like, eh, we have deficiencies here. But that that's the benefit of a guy like Ridley is Zay Jones looks better. Evan Ingram looks better. Christian Kirk looks better. The whole thing looks better. Yeah, I thought you're absolutely right. Zay Jones being a, you know, when Michael Gallup was a two or Jacoby right. Myers is a two, I think that's a perfect fit there. That was a beautiful catch for, by Zay Jones for the 18-yard touchdown. Um, I thought Trevor Lawrence early on, like I said, looked sharp. He was, uh, you know, there's pressure early on by a friend of the show, Quiddy Pay. Trevor Lawrence rolls right out, you know, to his left. Dude throws to his left extremely well. Uh, makes a great throw up the sideline right before the he rolls left again for a touchdown early on. So I thought the Jags offense was ad, ad, as advertised, right? They spread yeah. the ball around. The receivers were the key playmakers. Um, Travis Etienne ran the ball pretty effectively. It really came down to like this game, sh- I don't think should have been that cl- as close as it was. When, with um, The Colts did a great job stepping up on fourth down. There were several fourth downs where the Jags went for it at the right time. Colts territory. The Colts you know, held strong and you know, made some stops. But I thought overall the Jags looked right offensively. And um, it really came down to some fourth down stuff. The DeForest Buckner play. That kind of kept the Colts in it. There was a couple of turnovers, including, you know, a touchdown with that Buckner one. Like, the two plays off Bigsby were ridiculous. I just checked. He's going to have a great – he's going to have a bad grade. Um, The the interception was like an absolute joke of a play, which looked 
looked like a busted play from the start, and Lawrence kind of went, uh-oh, found an outlet, hit Bigsby, and it just, like, careened off his face into, a, <laughs> into the hands of a defensive and to a defender. And so, you know, those are two pretty significant turnovers that kept the game closer than it probably should have been. And then, you know, the Jags end up sort of pulling away late in the game. But, like, what did you think of uh, Richardson? Yeah, I thought it was it was okay. So Anthony Richardson ends the game with, I don't think he's going to have any big-time throws. The passing chart, if you saw the passing chart that got tweeted out there, everything was to the right. It was right. like Trubisky's. Remember yeah. when, when Arif had that like it, long-standing joke of Trubisky can't throw to the left? Yeah, and when Richardson did throw to the left, you get Tyson Campbell. So he's got a, he's got a fourth-quarter comeback opportunity, throws the ball right to Tyson Campbell for the interception, and you know that essentially ended the game. So yeah, I thought Richardson. You know, he also led the led the team with uh, 40 rushing yards. Had the had the touchdown in the tight red zone. That was great. Um, his other passing touchdowns, a 39 yard screen. So it was a lot of what we saw. I thought previously there yeah. was there was you know you saw early on. It's like he's reading, he's going through his progressions, and he's missing the throw. And he didn't miss a ton of throws, but he missed. You know, mm. he, he made he had his misses. The the interception was the one egregious misread. And it was in this must-pass, comeback opportunity type of situation. So it was just a rookie type of game, I thought, for Richardson. And he was, he was okay as a runner. I think it would have helped to have Jonathan Taylor as, you know, as a part of the running game. No one else could really get going. Deion Jackson with 13 carries for 14 yards. Yeah. So it would have helped to have a you know, better running back to complement Anthony Richardson. So I think it was... Maybe as expected? Yeah, I think it was a good indication of the kind of season you're going to have from Anthony Richardson. Like, you saw a pretty full display of everything he can do. The interception, I don't think it was necessarily a bad misread, but there were a bunch of plays yesterday where rookies, I think, were sort of reminded, like, what NFL players can do versus what college players can do. There's a ton of – I mean, forget, we talk all the time about the difference between, like, NFL Open and Alabama Open. Those are two different concepts. The other concept... You mean, you mean Miami Open. Dolphins Open. Now, yeah. yeah. The, other, um, the other concept that I think is different is how quickly the window is going to close in the NFL versus how quickly it's going to close in college. There's a ton of plays where you can put the ball into an ocean of space in college perfectly content with the idea that not a single defender is going to make an impact on that throw. In the NFL, there's stuff that looks open, and it isn't because NFL players are too damn good at being able to close that window and you know, change the dynamic, whether it's a safety jumping across where you think it's going to be, whether it's a corner sinking into that gap like this um, that you think is open, whether it's a linebacker you know, taking a step to his left or his right and closing the window that you're trying to hit right next to him. It, the NFL, like NFL defenders are so freaking good, and a lot of young sort of mistakes by quarterbacks are coming to that realization. Like, that takes some time to learn what these guys can actually achieve relative to what you expect. And that, like, I think Richardson, the throw conceptually is there, and the corner just made a really good play, continuing to drop under it and take it away. Um, one question I had was the Jags' offensive line in their pass blocking. There's a couple – um, the interior was just, you know, they got beaten a couple times. I don't think they were challenged much. You've got Gus Bradley's defense with the Colts. They blitzed one time on pass plays. Just something to keep an eye on going forward. I thought Lawrence handled the pressure well other than the strip sack where, you know, he got smoked by DeForest Buckner. Something to keep an eye on when they play teams that are going to challenge them a little bit more from a 
pass rush perspective. Um, Alec Pierce looks like a problem. Yeah, how so? Uh, he's quite bad at football, and that means they have him play 60 snaps badly. <laughs> That's not I mean, he's, he's another guy I think you probably want as a three who's who's got that good speed and becomes a is is a deep threat right he was i liked i thought he was okay in the draft it was where they got him was the right kind of spot it was he just feels like the kind of receiver at this point where you've seen enough and it's time to go in a different direction like there was the right draft pick it it was worth the roll of the dice and the dice seems to have come up snake eyes and now's the time to like stop doubling down on that and just stop playing him as much like he shouldn't play 50 snaps for you anymore Well, football's back in full swing with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? It's DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers, all of them, can take advantage of two new offers every game this September. So get in on the NFL action the week two action over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now. Use code PFF to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply probably more in the description as far as the disclaimers go Mm. all right where are we going for the next game here let's go uh atlanta atlanta falcons 24 panthers 10 falcons move to 1-0 on the season first place in the nfc south and uh look we got desmond ritter having another game where he's not relied upon a ton Bijan robinson looks like a star Early on with a beautiful touchdown. Oh man, that was just he, incredible. He looks so good. It's ridiculous. Let's every, just let's just rave about Bijan Robinson. Every time I see Bijan, I think he's better than I thought he was. And it's I already think he's like a generational best running back to come along since, you know, Adrian Peterson perhaps. Like and every time you see him, it's like he's even better than that. Just get him the ball all the time. Don't forget these other people. Why are you putting the ball in anybody else's hands? Just give it to Bijan again. No, Tyler Algier is good too. But I agree. Bijan impresses me more every single time. So that touchdown that he had, quick screen, and it's a bad play. It's a bad play call. I mean, it's dead. Like the play, the ball arrives in his hands and the play is dead for a five-yard loss. Frankie Luvu is bearing down upon him. And Frankie Luvu has been one of the better linebackers in the NFL over the last couple of years. You're like, this play is dead. It didn't work. The defense read it. Game over. Or not game, a play over, right? And instead, Bijan turns a five-yard loss into a touchdown. And all he needed to do was to beat three different defenders and leave them all lying face first on the turf. Yeah, it should have been a five-yard loss. He turns it, it, he looked like Dante Hall or Zay Flowers. He looked like Zay Flowers, plus about 70 pounds. I mean, that was impressive, Bijan. I, I, I'm with you, man. I am more impressed the more I see him because the way he glides with the ball, the shiftiness that he brings to the table, but he's got big back power. So, and the thing is, Bijan, I, I'm impressed. I kind of agree with you in that Tyler Algier is a really good player, right? He, he's, he's good. I mean, the, the Falcons' entire backfield last year averaged 4.8 yards per carry. They're all pretty good. Algier is good, 
and he seems to be running right now like a guy who knows that his job is kind of being taken by somebody else, like desperately trying to show that he should be playing as well. And their workload was pretty evenly split. They Bijan Robinson played 31 snaps. Tyler Algier played 26. Algier is a good player who deserves playing time in an NFL offense. But Bijan Robinson is so much better that the only determining factor of, of Tyler Algier being on the field should be, is Bijan tired now? Like, it's the only way he should get on the field because Bijan is so damn good. Lay off my guy. Hey, we, we've been talking up the Falcons a little bit this offseason, and you saw it a little bit, the, the Bijan plays, Algier ran the ball extremely well. Um, and then Kyle Pitts, right? Desmond Ritter throws it up to him. Kyle Pitts does his Kyle Pitts thing, tracks it, you know, makes it, turns it into a 34-yard gain. Uh, of course, Pitts only had three targets, and, you know, fantasy owners, you can Better than deal Drake with all London. that. Drake London only had one target, so yeah. whatever. Um, but Kyle Pitts, like, those were those – those are the plays where those uh, special types of playmakers – Yeah, I mean, they had 115 up. passing yards. No, so. I know. They're not, they're not throwing the ball. Ritter yeah. is – going to be uber game manager this year for the Falcons. And he had some quirky plays, passed to himself that he probably what? should have knocked down for Four. negative six. I mean, definitely should have knocked down. But yes, the so there were two passes to themselves. Uh, Desmond Ritter's, I think it was his first completion. First, his first pass. First pass. Yeah. And then Stroud's first NFL pass was a catch to himself. Yeah. That happened you, twice, like immediately. Let's take into the record books. Bobby Slowick's first play call was a QB pass to There's, QB. There was a, that's going to be a trivia question that nobody's going to get in 15 years' time. Except us. Bobby Slowick. Or even uh, C.J. Stroud, like who was his first completion to. But, On, yeah, so two of those plays. Um, yeah, Ritter, all he has to do is, you know, be a game manager and not screw it up. And he only kind of managed that in this game. Like, he didn't really manage it that well. And he tried to screw it up a, li- a little bit and didn't manage to do that. Like, he threw the ball, you know, put it in harm's way at times. Um, for the Falcons' defense, you know, again, a lot of times you spend the offseason and you're like, hey, here are all the changes the team made. And sometimes in week one you say, hey, that's why they made those changes. Other times they don't work. For the Falcons, though, bringing in Jesse Bates. Well, that paid pretty immediate dividends. Two yeah. interceptions. Calais Campbell played over 50 snaps. David Onyemata had a really good game. The Falcons' defense, I know they're going up against rookie quarterback Bryce Young, but the Falcons' defense looked really good. Caden Ellis, a, a lot of the offseason moves the Falcons made showed up and were a big part of this win. And then we could talk about Bryce Young and two interceptions thrown to the middle of the field for <laughs> Bryce Young. Yeah. It, okay. Break him down. Listen, we got to touch every game here, Sam. We're already at 743. Yeah. Just, you know. We're only stay on point. 20% of the way into the show. Um, all right. How would you say, how would you evaluate Bryce Young's play? Because I can't describe it without sounding stupid, even to myself. You're going to tell me it was good. I, I feel like outside of the two idiot interceptions, which were terrible, it was good. That's like a pretty big asterisk, right? See, I think if... Particularly for a guy that only completed yards for like 146 yards, 20 passes. I think you need to to think of him as QB9 and not Bryce Young. Because if this was Sam Darnold making those throws, you'd be like, Sam Darnold. Of course they were he made terrible interceptions, both of them. Like, they were bad. They were bad. But outside of the... Like, it was like and you, you played you, well and then threw a ridiculous interception. And then played well and then threw a ridiculous interception and then played well again. Yeah, I thought he was okay. Even, you know, he was okay and the interceptions were bad. He was all right. 
I don't love the situation. Like we, I, I picked Atlanta in part because you know DJ Chark was hurt and Adam Thielen's getting older, and I don't love the whole situation with Carolina. Right? They had to get rid of DJ Moore to go up and get Bryce Young, and I believe the Panthers' offense is going to take a little bit of time because they just don't have the dynamic playmakers. And Miles Sanders, I think, is just an okay running back. I think everything's just kind of well okay there. The concerns we had in the preseason still exist, right? Like, okay, DJ Chark was hurt and wasn't playing, so that left them with Adam Thielen, who had just come off the injury report, Terrace Marshall, Jonathan Mingo. I mean, those are their top three targets in terms of wide receivers. Hayden Hurst actually ended up leading the team in targets and catches and yards in this game at tight end. But, like, none of those guys are going to really move the needle yet. Jonathan Mingo might be the closest to doing it down the road, but I think he's going to take a little bit of time to get going. Um, he just doesn't quite seem on the, the right page at the moment. So the receiving core was a problem. The pass protection, which in preseason was a disaster, wasn't good. Um, Chandler Zavala, the rookie, pretty much got his ass kicked. Um, Iki Aquano was better, but Brady Christensen, like this was a problem again. The tackles graded well and the three interior players. This is what's interesting, right? The guard center, uh, two guards in the center. Yeah. And both those Below interceptions. Average pass blocking. Yeah. For the guy that's really short. Both those interceptions. I don't think this is the case, but when you look at the plays, there's a there's two large human beings right in his face on both occasions. That can't help. Um, but I think those are the Jesse Bates interceptions were examples of what we were talking about earlier, which is starting to understand what NFL players can do versus what college players can do. The second one in particular, Bryce Young drops back and deliberately looks off the single high free safety, which is Jesse Bates. Like, he drops back, he turns all the way to the left, expecting, I assume, the safety to go with his eyes. Bates never moves, doesn't, not, not buying it. I know you're not going there. I'm not even moving in that direction. And then Young just snaps back, fires at the dig that he wants to hit on the backside, and Jesse Bates is like, sweet. Yoink just jumps in front of it. Like the, the first one, I think you can make a case that he never saw him. But the second one, he knew he was there and tried to move him. And Bates just never bit. And that's, again, like you need to – there's a learning curve you're going to have to go through when you understand what NFL defenders are, A, capable of, and B, like what they know. Because that's a big part of this stuff is – you can't fool somebody if they know what you're doing. Like, there's no amount of, like, faking it if they simply know you're not going to do that and you're going to do something else instead. That was an interesting part of Bryce Young's game. Those weren't the only two passes he threw over the middle. He had some successful ones, too. Um, remember the Peyton – you always reference the Peyton Manning game. He just, get, he just gets to Denver. It's week two. Right. And he's trying to make these seam passes, and he's got no velocity on the ball. And he throws three picks against Atlanta, Monday Night Football, I believe it was. And it was like, oh, Peyton's cooked. He's done. And no, he, he changed his game. And he made those passes again later that season. And, but he knew when to attempt them. He, he knew the spacing. He knew when to try them. And those are the types of things I think Bryce Young is going to have to work with, is when to, when to work the middle of the field, when to confirm where defenders are. And we always talk about Drew Brees and how he, you know, he, he overcame his height to be able to see a certain way, the same way Russell Wilson has to roll out of the pocket to see sometimes or whatever. Bryce Young's going to have to learn that, I think, at the NFL level. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's a big transition. That being said, like, when you consider that his receivers aren't good and his offensive line is a problem, 
and he made those two glaring mistakes. Outside of that, like I think he works well in the pocket. You saw him, you know, manipulate defenders. Uh, you saw him manage the pocket. You saw him know when to take off. And generally speaking, his accuracy and stuff was good. I came away out of the game reasonably impressed by him. I just don't think that their offense is going to be good this year. All right. I was impressed by the Falcons overall, though. We got yeah. to see the, you know, they put up 24 points. We got to see the, we got to see the new defensive players, their offensive playmakers. Uh, Desmond Ritter doing his best to manage the whole thing. Doing and his best. What? Bless him. He was okay. I mean, for a guy that goes 15 of, eight, of 18, like, he was okay. Again, yeah. the B. John Robinson, like the stats, the, the, the raw passing stats are going to be a little inflated for Desmond Ritter for exactly the thing we said earlier. He throws a pass that should have been I mean, it's not even a five-yard yeah. loss that turns into a touchdown right. because of his running back. Yeah, it's not even necessarily inflated. It's like they were like 15 of 18 for 115 yards. Like the numbers sucked. It's that it, they don't capture the, the, the problem, I think, that in the way that, that was there in this game. So this game, I think, did nothing to sort of say, yeah, Ritter's going to be the guy. He can make this thing work, and the offense will be really good because he doesn't have to do much. You're still looking at that and going, he's the drag factor on this offense as it currently stands. All right, let's go to Tampa Bay 20, Minnesota Vikings 17. One of the upsets of the weekend was a six-point spread, I believe, going in. And uh, the Bucks pull off the win in Baker Mayfield's debut in Tampa Bay, I thought you know both offenses kind of started slow, um, other than Justin Jefferson. But uh, it started slow, and then Baker Mayfield started making plays as the game went on. Baker's back, baby. Yeah, man. It was uh, – in, in, look, I mentioned I, I might be higher on the Vikings than most, even though the, the data suggests that the, the one-score the, the one games that they won last year, that's going to revert back, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, it reverted back so far. They were, what, 10-0, 11-0 during the regular season last year in one-score games. They're 0-1 now. So we might already be seeing some of that Vikings regression. But, look, I think the Bucks deserve credit. Todd Bowles, his defense, made a bunch of key stops. And uh, Baker made just enough plays. Mike Evans is still Mike Evans. And uh, Bucks win it, 20-17. Yeah. Um, we, I, I feel like Baker Mayfield is a little bit like, uh, what's the guy's name from White Men Can't Jump, Sydney? You know, where, where Woody Harrelson is making him mad because he plays better when he's mad, and most people don't. I feel like Baker Mayfield is one of those guys that plays better when he's pissed off about something. Now, might not be good enough, but better, you know? You get the best version of Baker Mayfield, whatever that is, when you make him a little bit mad. And that's why you get the, you know, the grabbing his groin, the planting the flag thing, the beaning the dude in the warm-ups in college. Like the whole list of his college career was just him being annoyed about everything, right? Getting slighted for starting jobs, whatever it was. He found a really easy way of being annoyed by everything. Um, now in the NFL, he hasn't had that for a while. But the Vikings got chippy with him in this game and pissed him off. So you get like a good version of Baker Mayfield again. It was laying his body on the line. He was making some good throws. He was taking what was there, and the Vikings defense gave him some stuff, you know, like one-on-one -on -one with Mike Evans on a safety. There was some plays to be had, and we got a pretty good version of Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the Vikings defense played really well overall, but there was a few times where, like you said, Evans matchup, and uh, Mike Evans had another slant that he dropped that probably could have been a touchdown. Um, you know, it, it's at some point the Vikings, I think, lack of talent in the secondary just caught up. Um, but 
they also they were missing Marcus Davenport. They were not getting pressure. The Bucks' offensive line was really good from a pass protection standpoint. They still looked like last year's team running the ball into nowhere, despite a new scheme and everything. But um, I thought the Vikings played all right defensively until you know, other than uh, you know a few mishaps. And then at the end of the game, again, the Bucks they had to make plays. And, and to me, here's here's the story of the game. Todd Bowles, and it was fourth and inches, tie game, fourth quarter, about eight minutes left, tie game, and Todd Bowles goes for a fourth and one, fourth and inches, in his own territory, on his own 32, right? These are the types of plays where when they, if they fail, the morning shows, the yelling shows, Sam, are calling for jobs. This is, you know, this is uh, reckless. You're, you know, you're, you're putting your team's jobs on the line. You know, this is the, you, you, why would you do this in a tie game? If they fail, the Vikings are already in field goal territory, mm. right? For a game, you know, go ahead field goal. And the Bucks sneak it. Did they try the double cheek push? They tried a little push. That might have been. Was that the one? No, never mind. Anyway, they sneak it, they get it, and that becomes the drive that leads to a 57 yard field goal. By the way, the Bucks hitting a 57 yard field goal. Didn't always happen previously. No. They've had kicking issues for the last, you know, 30 years. So that was the move. That was the play, right? And, you know, when we talk about, you know, the analytics and going forward and all that stuff, just ask it for the same energy when it works. Like, that was literally the call that won the game for the Bucs. Going for it on your own 32, the thing we've seen way more of this the last few years. But 10 years ago, you never saw this. Way more of this the last couple of years. But that was the call. And Todd Bowles last year, very conservative. Remember, he was in, he was punting the ball away down two scores with seven minutes left in the game, right? Same situation last year, same amount of time left against the Saints, and they were punting down two scores. Not tied, down two scores. They still ended up winning the game, but those types of things happened last year with Todd Bowles. This year, he goes for it, and that was the win. That was the reason the Bucks won, because Todd Bowles was aggressive in his own territory, and that led to the game-winning field goal. Yeah. No, I mean, this was... This is a good Tampa Bay performance overall. Um, they, they, I think, surprised Minnesota and the Vikings. Like Justin Jefferson was his usual uncoverable self. He had, what, 150 yards over the course of the game. Now, most of that came in the first half, and then it kind of disappeared. Um, I thought Jordan Addison made a few plays, enough to show that he can be a really nice compliment. Alexander Madison was fine. Like, the offense was okay. It just kept conspiring to screw it up. Weird red zone interception. Christian Isian, the uh, rookie slot corner for the Bucks, with um, just kind of rips it away for a pick. Mm. You know, so th- uh, those types of things, right? Red zone pick. I think Cousins forced it a little bit. Um, overall, I thought Cousins played pretty well, though. And um, I want to give credit where credit's due to uh, Devin White as well. Devin White had the game that people thought he had. I think people started to catch on to Devin White might not be as good as the hype last year. But when Devin White was getting the hype, this was the type of game that people thought he had every single week. Flying around the field, making plays as a pass rusher, which he's always been good at. Um, tracking down ball carriers, the lateral range, and all of it. Devin White was fantastic, and he's over here fighting for a contract. We, it's, our, it's one game. But remember last year, Tremaine Edmonds kind of had that huge year leading into the contract year. We'll see if Devin White can keep it up, but he looked really good in this game. Yeah. No, Devin White played fantastically. Um, I thought Antoine Winfield Jr. had some really impressive plays, important plays. Um, and, yeah, they made enough They made enough to keep ahead of the, the Vikings. 
Um, at the end of the day, I mean, Baker still averaged about five yards per attempt. It was not it was not a great offensive performance by the Bucks, mm-hmm. especially early on. But they you know they made a few plays down the stretch. And and again, Todd Bowles has had he's got a good solid defense. This is a good solid defense. Todd Bowles is a good defensive coach. If you add in a little bit more aggressiveness, a little more underdog mentality for a team that is going to be an underdog in a lot of their games with the Bucks, I think they're going to be a little bit tougher maybe than than we thought. Yeah. Season. No, I mean they yeah, they they played well and they still sort of needed some, you know, knife edge plays at the end to keep ahead and not give Minnesota a chance to to come back and win it like um Chris Godwin had an amazing catch on the sideline. Baker Mayfield had to launch himself into some contact to pick up the first down. It was still really close, but they, they did shock Minnesota. Like the Vikings, I don't think we're expecting that. All right, let's go Baltimore Ravens 25, Houston Texans 9. Um, this game wasn't all that close. Uh, Lamar Jackson had a few bad fumbles in there. I thought that, that kept it close. Uh, Zay Flowers with a nice game for the Ravens. He did look... We've talked a lot about Zay Flowers on the show. He looked dynamic, man. He looked really good with the ball in his hands, and they got the ball into his hands. He had 10 targets, and Lamar dropped, only had 22 attempts. He He's had, their number one receiver. He really is. They're feeding him. It, you know, it was mostly good for Zay Flowers. Really impressive debut for him. C.J. Stroud on the other side, I thought, you know, looked, looked like a rookie. Sacked five times, uh, dropped back over 50 times. What were your thoughts on this Ravens 25-9 to win here? Yeah, so, I mean, Zay Flowers and OBJ were the two primary receivers. Those guys both played about the same and played a ton. Um, they were the guys that were out there pretty much the entire time. And then there was a gap down to Rashad Bateman and Nelson Aguilar. Like, Bateman wasn't just three in that trio. He was three slash four. Like, it was actually, he was closer to Aguilar than he was either Zay Flowers or OBJ. So, and then of the two, of OBJ and uh, Zay Flowers, Flowers had a dramatically larger workload in terms of targets. Like, OBJ had three targets, Zay Flowers had 10. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, that's one of those ones where we're week one, you know, it's all about do you stick with your priors or do you say after one week everything you thought was wrong? I'm already pretty close to saying we got the Zay Flowers thing wrong. Now, part of that is so many people loved him you're kind of like already a little bit hesitant of your opinion because you know you know that you're a minority stake here but he looks dynamic the stuff that he was good at plays and they found a way to make it a heavy workload thing which was my biggest concern coming out it's like that's great but Dante Hall could do that stuff as well and the NFL couldn't really figure out how to make use of that now that was a different time but the Ravens have already figured out how to make that a high-volume approach and sort of lead the line in this passing game. If that's a consistent thing, his movement is different. It's not Tyreek Hill, but it's like in the same vein of he operates at a different plane of quickness and speed to other people, that plays. The question was, is that enough? And so far, it has been. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's also not go too far, right? We're talking nine catches... 8.7 per catch he's definitely catching a lot of uh short passes and creating after the catch the, the zay flowers concerns remember we said if he goes to kansas city right with how often they put him in space he's gonna cook well the ravens are doing that uh early on i think the, the zay flowers concerns are always going to be downfield and while he had a few spectacular catches at boston college there was other times he was just out physical so let's see you know how that evolves but right now Really nice start 
for uh, for Zay Flowers and the Ravens. Um, Lamar Jackson, like I said, two fumbles, two uh, and a bad interception. Bad interception, too, yeah. That that kind of kept Houston close. I, I, I thought Lamar was just uh, just okay as a passer. Gets sacked four times. I don't think it was the it wasn't a crisp offensive performance. I don't think across the board for the Ravens. Other thing to note, unfortunately, J.K. Dobbins, awesome touchdown, leaps into the end zone, and then he's out for the season now with a torn Achilles. The Ravens also have Marcus Williams, I believe, out for the season at free safety. And uh, it was a Tyler Lindebaum and Ronnie Stanley both leaving with injuries. That's going to be the story of the game for Baltimore. They were 10-point favorite. They win against Houston, but they, they get the Bengals next week. Yeah. A mad Bengals team. Man. You know, coming to Cincinnati, in, uh it's going to be tough with those injuries. Yeah, brutal um, just injury toll for, for them in this game. So, yeah, that was rough, particularly with J.K. Dobbins. I mean, the poor guy has already dealt with his fair share of injuries to then suffer an Achilles injury, um, which is about as bad as it gets for running backs, particularly quick, explosive guys like him. Just that's rough for him. Uh, how about the other side? Texans offense, C.J. Stroud. Um, as I mentioned, sacked a ton. The offensive line, it's, it's unfortunate. I think when you see Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson, Richardson doesn't have great playmakers. We mentioned Bryce Young doesn't have the best situation. None of them are in great spots. Of, yeah, yeah. and you look right at Stroud right here. They just have this revolving door of offensive linemen. They, they traded for Josh Jones, put him at guard. Mm-hmm. He got a 28 pass grade. Pass blocking grade for Josh Jones at guard, where he's already been a good tackle. The right tackle situation now. George Fant gets hurt. The problem, I I, I don't even know if he's a right tackle. I Who think came he's in a left for Fant because he was getting absolutely whooped <laughs> every single snap. I mean, the look, C.J. Stroud's still not seeing it quickly enough, and that's a part of it. There was also a lot of plays. You you you're, you've coined the phrase that nobody under, actually understands, but yeah. Christian Ponder syndrome. Yeah, where he thinks he can outrun. Like there's a I lot mean, of plays where C.J. Stroud's trying to outrun defenders. He can't do it. People probably understood it more when Christian Ponder was in the league. Yeah, it makes was, less sense now. C.J. Stroud had a lot of those plays where he's trying to outrun guys that are just faster than him, and that doesn't work when guys are faster than you. No. So look, the Texans' offensive line was a bit of a problem yesterday. Yeah. Um, it was like the, the problem with Josh Jones is that I think he might be a left tackle only, which is fine, but you need a starting spot for that to be viable. Like the problem is if you're not a starting left tackle, now you're a drag on the roster because teams need swing tackles. They need, you know, versatility on the backups because you might have to come in in one, two, three different spots. Josh Jones has shown in his NFL career that he's a bad guard. He doesn't look like a good right tackle either, so you might just be a left tackle only. But he's a good quality, I think, starting left tackle. The problem is he's gone from one team that already has a starting left tackle to another team that already has a starting left tackle. Like, he's been traded between two teams that cannot put him where he needs to be, and now he's just been set up to fail by getting thrown into the game at the spot we know he's not good at. So I and feel still, for him. He's still probably their best option at guard, but I'm saying we just think right. Josh but all Jones that means is tackle. he's going to play a season looking like crap playing at guard, which is unfortunate for a guy who could be looking good at left tackle if they didn't already have like Houston's best player, arguably, is their left tackle, and they traded for a guy who needs to be playing that spot in order for him to look good. So I, I mean, I just, I, I just feel for Josh Jones. I think he's been unfortunate in terms of where he's landed up in the NFL, two different teams now. 
Um, with the Texans' offensive line, as we're blaming them for a lot of things, you also have to give credit to the Ravens with uh, Odafe Owe. Several pressures for him. It was probably the best he's looked in quite a while as far as rushing the passer goes. Justin Matabuike, he's uh, – remember Matabuike, the defensive tackle, started great mm. last year. I think he had a great week one, but the first six or seven weeks of the season before tapering off – Last year, but Matabuike is off to a great start again. David Ajabu had the strip sack against uh, third-string right tackle. So uh, Ravens looked pretty good up front and took advantage of that mismatch, right? That's what football's all about. We, we sit here all offseason talking about the depth charts and the moves that people have made, and it comes down to week to week. There's matchups, and there's a key plays here and there. I think the Ravens took advantage of uh, a mismatch up front with the Texans. Yep. Um... Anything else on Stroud? So Stroud, I think, had a few of those plays as well, like we talked about with the other rookies, where, you again, you need to learn what NFL defenders are capable of. Like, he had a play where he escaped to the left side of the field, outran the, outran the defender, like didn't have Christian Ponder syndrome. He's actually got the opposite of whatever Christian Ponder syndrome is, where he's actually faster than you think he is, right? When in college, he didn't really move around much at all, but now you see him, even in the NFL, he's able to take off and outrun defensive linemen. So he, may, he did that got to the sideline, and then sort of threw one up in the air, lofted back across his body towards, not towards the middle of the field, but infield a little bit. Like the classic example of you don't do that in the NFL. And the reason you don't do that in the NFL is because when you think there's space there, there's NFL defenders that are capable of closing that space before the ball arrives. So a guy ended up breaking it up, I think. Um, but that was a classic example of like, that's completion in college. Like he makes that play and you're like, wow, look at what he can do, improvisation. All the stuff we talked about, about being a problem for CJ Stroud, in college that's a play that would make you say it's not. But in the NFL, defenders can get there before you can, you can get the ball there. So uh, just another version of you need to learn what you can and can't do. Overall, I thought this looked a lot like CJ Stroud. Like not, not good under pressure. When he's not under pressure, I think he got something to work with. The offensive line didn't do him any favors. Um, I thought there were signs of life from Robert Woods. I thought he looked okay. Yeah. Noah Brown getting snaps as the third guy over Tank Dell, I think, is just bad. That just feels like willful being worse than you need to be. I mean, Noah Brown's fine as a num like, but Tank Dell's better. <laughs> Play Tank Dell more. Let me, uh, let me set you up for this. If Tank Dell was playing the Zay Flowers role uh -huh. for the Ravens, how would that go? For the Ravens? Oh. Yeah, if Tank Dell was in the spot uh, for Zay Flowers. I mean, they're different receivers. He'd be good, but I, he should be – I mean, he brings, some, he brings different things to this, to this Texans offense than anybody else there, and he's probably a better player across the board than Noah Brown already. I just – I don't know why you wouldn't use him more. Like, we saw enough in preseason to say, let's give this guy a bigger role in the offense. Yeah, it would be good to... Uh, let's text Bobby and make that happen. Yeah, we tried in the preseason. That didn't work out well enough. All right, um, we're going to get... I, I think the game we're going to overreact to the most is going to be 49ers and Steelers. <laughs> but first, got to tell you about our partners, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. We drink it every day over here on the PFF NFL podcast. Love AG1 because, well, I need some nutrients, guys. I need some nutrients, and I get it from AG1, and uh, I do that every single day, right? Because I got my, uh, got my vitamins. I got everything I need to kick off the day. I like to drink it in the morning to get things moving, right, with my coffee, 
throw some AG1 in there and uh, be healthy for the day, Sam. Yeah, you were over into the corner, into the box before the uh, the show even started today. I made Brad, sure I, I loaded up because I'm out at home. So I loaded up on our stash from the corner. I'm bringing it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before we're pre-7 a.m. and you're already diving into the AG1 box to get it cranking. How else can I get through a two-and-a-half-hour show without the nutrients I get from AG1? All great athletes have one thing in common. I don't remember being a great athlete, but I was once one relative to other humans. But we all took care of our bodies as great athletes, Sam, and a huge part of that is optimizing your whole body health. A lot of athletes drink AG1, so it's good enough for me. Micro habit that turns into macro benefits, man. Less than $3 a day, AG1, gotta love it. Cost is perfect, and you get the results. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. You go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Be sure to check it out. All right, man, 49ers, 30, Steelers, 7. I... I, I, I don't want to overreact to, say, the Bengals. I think the Bengals have a history that we're leaning into if you say, hey, Cincinnati's going to bounce back. But Pittsburgh, I feel duped. I need you to remind me next August. Can you put a reminder in the calendar? Next August, when Team X rolls out in the preseason and they're tearing it up and Steve's like, ah, maybe, I change, maybe I change my opinion on this team. Because of what I saw in the preseason. And it's not really just the preseason, to be honest. The Steelers had a great offseason, right? Mm-hmm. They had a nice draft. They've been building that squad. They've been getting the offensive line, creeping back past average. Second year of Kenny Pickett, supposed to look good. And they came out and lay an egg. The Steelers laid an egg. Or the Niners are just as awesome as we thought they were. Or a lot of people thought they were. So yeah. the Niners just did what they were supposed to do, and the Steelers really underwhelmed yesterday. 30-7, to Niners win. Yeah, I, I mean, this is definitely one of the games that's going to get the overreaction treatment this week. Um, I'm closer to to reacting to the 49er side of this than the Steelers side. Um, San Francisco looked really good. They did. Uh, on both sides of the ball. Like, that's the important part. And the thing is, like, J, uh, TJ Watt smoked Colton McKivitz at right tackle, and it still didn't matter. Like, he won that matchup comfortably and was absolutely destroying him. We highlighted that. We were like, that's the matchup. And if you told me on Thursday when we were previewing this, TJ Watt is not only going to exploit the matchup that looks like the biggest mismatch in the NFL this weekend, TJ Watt versus Colton McKivitz, but Watt's going to win it, force two strip sacks. Yeah. All right, the Steelers have a chance in this one. Right, he's going to have three sacks, two of them forced fumbles. You're like, well, that's, that's what they need. That's how Pittsburgh, you know, ends up causing problems for the San Francisco offense. That's how the 49ers, with their offensive line that's been really good the last few years, starts to creak. And it doesn't work as well as, no, nah, it didn't matter. Didn't, like, didn't affect them whatsoever. Um, so that, I think, shows you how good this 49ers team was. The... The mismatch players they have, like we talk about this with Atlanta a lot, like they're sort of trying to assemble this collection of like monsters on offense, these absolute freak shows that you just can't match up with on defense. I mean, the 49ers are already there and their players are better and more proven and they have a quarterback that can get them the ball. So we saw Christian McCaffrey look amazing. George Kittle, every time they got him the ball was making plays and picking up yards that shouldn't have been there. Um, Brandon Ayuk looked uncoverable. Like their their collection of skill position players are 
amazing. And Brock Purdy, he, I, he isn't great, but his ability to extend plays and add value to this offense is obvious every time you watch him play. Like, there's such a difference between like what Jimmy Garoppolo can do when the play starts to break down and what Brock Purdy can do when the play starts to break down. It's not like, you know, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but he's just consistently able to extend the play a little bit longer and get something positive out of a play that was going to go to hell. And that's so valuable on an offense that's already working really well. Yeah, Brock Purdy's game was really interesting because he did, he did fumble it twice. Okay, he threw another pass that probably should have been picked. One of his recoveries, by the way, was ridiculous. Yeah. Like, T.J. Watt... Uh, forces the fumble chasing him down and then Purdy manages to secure it behind his back on the ground before TJ Watt can get hold of it so I thought I thought Purdy look those plays count right I thought putting it on the turf he was kind of blindsided a little bit those those count those matter they don't show up in his passer rating that was 111.3 he put the ball in harm's way a couple times fumbles a couple times and he has a dropped interception other than those three plays Brock Purdy I thought was absolutely fantastic the offensive line that we have highlighted as a concern for the 49ers, they, they weren't great up front, right? For a team that was very efficient and ran the ball well, but the pass protection was not good other than, of course, Trent Williams. Hmm. Pass protection was not good. And Purdy, as you mentioned, maneuvering the pocket, his pocket movement was fantastic. Ran when he needed to, bought time when he needed to, found open receivers. I thought Purdy played a... A really good game where there'll be some turnover-worthy plays that that count. That you know, a little lucky that they did that they didn't have a bigger impact in the game. You mentioned the the nice recovery, but I thought overall Purdy looked pretty good. And 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 we gave we give Joe Burrow a pass for maybe being a little rusty with his injury. Like if Brock Purdy came out here and looked rusty, I'd I'd probably give him a pass. Sure. Or we we might give him a pass, or we might say, oh, yeah, he's a seventh round pick. Right. He's the, he's Mister Irrelevant. He's coming back down to earth. But Purdy was impressive against the Steelers' defense that was pressuring him. Yeah. Right. Don't just look at the scoreboard and say, well, the Niners won up front. The Niners actually didn't really win up front, even in the run game. Right. A lot of it was Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk making blocks down the field. The Steelers played well up front, other than some missed tackles on a few run plays. And Purdy did a really nice job handling pressure. No, he like, did. like he did last year. He really did. So credit. I'm going to give credit to Brock Purdy, even though there were some turnover-worthy plays in there. Yeah. No, like he's he's going to be he's going to be this weird case study where I don't know that he's that good, but he's good in the right area that perfectly complements this offense because we know this offense manufactures open looks. And not just Shanahan. Like, we give a lot of credit to Shanahan, but talk about the players that he's throwing to as well. Like, the fact that he's throwing to that list of mismatch problems is as big a factor as Kyle Shanahan putting them in the right place at the right time. It's a cheat code for success, but then the the strength that Purdy currently has is this ability to extend plays and just turn something, like, relatively crappy into anything positive. And that like perfectly complements the weakness or the whatever weakness you can create for this 49ers offense. Like if you can take away the first thing, now the efficiency starts to diminish. But then he's able to add that back on top because that's his area of strength. So he's a strange player where I don't know that he's that great, but his his numbers and his production are gonna look insane. 
because he's being propped up by that offense and then adding value on top of that in the one area where that offense doesn't have an answer. Like, that's what makes him so right for this current system. So I think from a 49ers perspective, they are who people thought they were, right? Uh, Good luck matching up with this offense. Fierce defense that can rush the passer and has some playmakers on the back end. And the other point that I wanted to make was Brandon Ayuk at receiver looked like an absolute star Mm -hmm. yesterday. When we list the playmakers for the Niners, it's Debo Samuel, because he could go all over the place. He's a good receiver, good running back. It's George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, who also looked like a star. But they have Brandon Ayuk playing like a star. This is where he took over training camp this year, and you get all the training camp hype at year three, is it, or four for Ayuk, and it's, it's carried over. The routes are unbelievable. He made Patrick Peterson fall down on his first touchdown mm-hmm. by just you know a little jab step. Unbelievable. And then on Christian McCaffrey's 65-yard touchdown run, where McCaffrey was fantastic, you know, breaking free and, and running away from the defense, it's Ayuk down the field pancake and a defender great block Ayuk was one of the best players in the NFL this week and that is just scary for the rest of the NFL because he's supposed to be the fourth playmaker that you mentioned in the list and he looks like an absolute star no that they they have a collection of these guys and they're all amazing and all problems to match up with the Patrick Peterson thing was kind of funny by the way they cornerbacks are basically like message board homers because all they do is remember the good plays and immediately forget the bad plays. (laughs) Like, Patrick Peterson got embarrassed for that touchdown. He fell over. It was a wide-open touchdown. He looked ridiculous. He made another mistake as well. And then, like, a few plays later, he gets a pass breakup on, like, a pretty close play, you know, reasonably tight coverage, just about gets his hand to it, and then is, like, celebrating like he is owning this game. Like, he hasn't allowed a thing. Every time the ball comes in his coverage, he's shutting it down. He's like, you know, not today, not in my house. It's like, dude, you are getting wrecked in this game. You just got one in the plus column. Everything so far has been a negative. They are fascinating characters, NFL cornerbacks. Um, so, okay, we, the 49ers is the thing that I might be willing to overreact to and say they might actually be just pencil them back into the NFC title game. Um, the Steelers, though, I'm not ready to overreact and say there's nothing there. I still think this is a better team than they showed in this game. The like Deontay Johnson slips over for an interception early in the game. Like Kenny Pickett got the ball where it needed to be. Deontay Johnson fell over, interception, like that set things off. And and this felt like a game where the game flow got away from them relatively early and then they were just in a hole they weren't able to dig out of. But I do think that this offense can function a lot better than it did a year ago. Yeah, I thought I didn't think Kenny Pickett looked sharp at all. And also, by the way, like Dan Moore Jr. got wrecked at left tackle. We talked going into this game about how the interesting thing is they haven't put rookie Broderick Jones in there. They've left Dan Moore out there. Like that's an obvious change for one of their biggest problems. Like Drake Jackson was destroying Dan Moore Jr. at times at that spot. Okay, I, I've got a solution for you if you're interested. How about the first round pick you have sitting on the bench? Yeah. I, look, I, I thought Pickett was was bad in this game accuracy was all over the place his first interception he actually comes off a pretty open read I thought he's looking at the right his his eyes are in the right area and then he comes off that and just throws a jump ball into coverage um I thought he was just he's just missing throws and not seeing it and looked fidgety and 
look, I think if you're if you're identifying the difference in what Kenny Pickett and Brock Purdy did yesterday, I was I was trying to defend Pickett throughout the whole offseason that yeah, he's in the you know, rough system and he played pretty well last year and he didn't have the same benefits of a Brock Purdy, but when you saw those guys under pressure yesterday, um, or just the comfort in the pocket, I thought Brock Purdy night and day better than Kenny Pickett. So I thought Pickett was part of our hype, right? We saw him in the preseason, and we see the training camp buzz, and he's throwing the ball up to George Pickens, who also had a ridiculous uh, catch Mm. on an incompletion on the sideline, which is fun, but incomplete. Eh, It just wasn't there in week one. So, yeah, it's not over for the Steelers, but all that momentum that it seemed like they were carrying into the year fell flat in week one for the Steelers. No, it was bad, but this is a – this is the game where I'm not, I'm not going to overreact yet. I think the 49ers might be absolutely for real, but I'm not yet willing to write off Pittsburgh after that one. I mean, day. it's week one. I'm not really It's also, by the way, reacting if, to stuff, but the Niners situation, I think they stepped up and looked like they should. Yeah, and for Pittsburgh's point of view, that also changes your perspective. Like if the 49ers are, in fact, that good, you know, NFC championship game material again, maybe Super Bowl team if they had a quarterback at the end of last season – like, if they're that team again, that changes the expectations for Pittsburgh. Like, you just lost not just to anybody, but you lost to one of the best teams in the NFL. But you know what's obnoxious is, uh, was it two years ago? We, used to, we were on the show last year at this time saying, ah, oh, the Steelers run training camp different. They're more prepared for week one than mm-hmm. everyone else. Because was it two years ago they beat the Bills, right? The Bills were the darlings, and they beat the Bills in week one. And then last year in week one they beat the Bengals, you know, a team that goes to the AFC Championship. So... It used to be this, well, the Steelers are just more prepared for week one. And now the opposite happened because, you know, who the heck knows what's going to happen in week one. All right, Commanders 20, Cardinals 16. We'll roll through this quickly. No offense to Commanders fans. But, um, hey, they made a fourth quarter comeback against the Cardinals. Cardinals kept it close because Dennis the Barbarian Gardak. Strip sack, baby. That leads to a touchdown for the Cardinals. What was the bet we accepted that he was going to have 10 sacks in the season? Did we accept it? Yeah, of course we did. It was the Barbarian. I mean, not because we were opposed to it, just because we were rooting for it. Right, just because somebody referenced the Barbarians. Well, he's got two. Already, yeah. It was a pretty good start. Let's tweet that out. He's on pace for 34 sacks. Well, he's 20% of the way towards his target. All right, talk about this game while I hype up the Barbarian. It was a weird game. Um, I felt like Washington sort of always had it under control, but they kept finding ways to not score. Like every time I looked up, they'd move the ball into the red zone or into Arizona territory and then somehow didn't put any extra points on the board. And you're like, well, at some point they'll start scoring, right? And then as soon as they do, the Cardinals don't really have much to answer with. Like they had a red zone fumble, Antonio Gibson. Uh, that being said, like the, the Cardinals had their mistakes as well. I think Zach Ertz dropped a touchdown, and then Josh Dobbs almost threw an interception right after that. It was a strange game. Um, Sam Howell, I thought, was, was kind of the same guy that Sam Howell usually is, which is most of it is good, and then you conspire to take a couple of ridiculous sacks, which are bad. And that was another part of you know how Washington found themselves in a hole. But, I mean, overall, I think this game went, more or less the way it should do it just Washington made it harder than it should have been yeah I think one of the things we underrate and we'll get to we'll get to it with the Rams game the on paper roster doesn't look great for the Cardinals but they played hard and they you know they kept it close I think the Cardinals are just going to be overwhelmed in most of their matchups and as we mentioned on the preview show the fact that the commanders were favored by seven 
when they have a quarterback making his second start in the NFL. Second start for Sam Howell. And, and as you mentioned, there's some good, there's some bad, sacked six times, including when the barbarian gets in there and he just, you know, he's trying to avoid it and he's trying to do too much and he puts the ball on the turf, right? You just can't, you just can't make those plays. But Sam Howell also has the – was he throwing that pass for Brian Robinson for the touchdown? It was tough to tell if he was actually the intended target <laughs> when he was rolling to the left for his touchdown and Brian Robinson kind of jumped in and, and caught it. Which reminds me, I was like the Patrick Mahomes fourth and twenty-five play at the end of the Chiefs game. Was he yeah. actually targeting like Sky Moore? Kind of got there. I don't think he was targeting Sky Moore on that play. Really? Who was he targeting? I thought he was. I thought he overthrew Watson, who was working his way back on the kind of like a oh, really deep yeah, curl. Yeah, I, thought, I didn't think that was to Sky Moore, but uh, this play felt similar. But either way, touchdown, creative, creative play for Sam Howell, but. The Commanders aren't the t- type of team that should be covering a seven-point spread no matter who they're playing. So that's, you know, even though I picked them. Um, it's because I had no faith in the Cardinals. And honestly, the Cardinals needed a fluky play. Not a fluky play, but, you know, they needed a defensive touchdown yeah. to keep it that close. So it's going to be a challenge for the, for the Cardinals this season. Did you see Jonathan Allen getting a sack with his ass? Uh, I don't remember offhand. Jonathan Allen sort of bull rushed the left guard into the quarterback and was like spinning off the block and got kind of caught up and just like cheeked him to the ground. Just like backed into him, ass first, took him down. You don't often see an ass sack in the NFL. You don't. <laughs> but there was one in this game. We've seen a butt pick. We've seen a butt pick. Saw a butt pick. Now we've seen a butt sack. We've got a butt sack. <laughs> we've seen a butt fumble. Yeah. Get the butt sack in here. See it all. You hang around long enough. Oh, man. I missed Monday mornings with you, Sam. I missed it because we, we watch the games in separate locations, right? We take them in differently. You, you catch things that I don't see. Like the butt sack. And uh, the fact that you saw the butt sack and somehow I missed it. That's why I appreciate you here mm-hmm. on a Monday morning on the PFF NFL podcast. I don't have much else to say about this game. No. Um, I mean, Yeah. The Cardinals are bad. <laughs> there was, was it Kazir White had an insane late hit on Sam Howell early in the game that, like, sparked a mini riot on the sideline. Um, yeah, I mean, if Sam Howell just avoids that, like, ridiculous – one of the things I think he needs to do is to learn when a play is just dead and just not make it worse, you know? Like, it's bad. It's already bad. There's no way out of this. There's no good in this play. Just don't make the outcome – dramatically worse by trying to get the hell out of it and causing even bigger problems. If he can do that, I think overall Washington did some nice things. They just kept shooting themselves in the foot. It was Andrew Wiley who gave up the sack to the Barbarian. And um, Hmm. overall the pass protection was not as bad as the sack total would indicate because, again, the quarterback is the one who leads to that number. But I still am curious if Sam Cosme, Samuel Cosme, should be the right tackle for the – for the commanders, even though they want him at guard. He played fine at guard. Paris Johnson, nice game in pass protection as a rookie, uh, rookie first-rounder for the Cardinals. So there's something positive about Arizona. Anything else on this one? No. we got to move on. Mm-hmm. New Orleans Saints, 16. Tennessee Titans, 15. The last of the 1 o'clock games, I believe, here to talk about today. Oh, man, what a grind this game was. The Saints hold on 16 to 15 the titans did they have what just five field goals right for tennessee to get to the 15 and some of the most ridiculous turnovers and not terminals you're ever going to see yeah the the opening kickoff 
it just looked like a guy was tackled out of bounds. And then like five minutes later, it's like, wait, how did Tennessee get the ball? Because Amani Hooker, like ta- on his way to tackling him out of bounds, just took the ball off him. So it was like a, a turnover that nobody even noticed until Mike Vrabel was like, hang on, we actually uh, we came away with that. That's, uh, that's our ball. So amazing tackle and strip to start the game. And then later on, Tennessee got screwed, I think, completely out of a, a touchdown for a, what I think should have been a forced fumble and didn't get called. I have such um, – it was a 16-15 to 15 game. And I feel like the, the, the parts where we always start our analysis, the quarterback and the receivers – I feel so good about the Saints' playmakers and what they have. Yeah. And then I look at Tennessee, and I feel so bad about how Ryan Tannehill played. He was awful. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But the Titans won up front. I mean, their defensive line did a great job up front against the Saints' offensive line. And, And it was like there was just all these extremes in the game, right? Early on, Michael Thomas looked like Michael Thomas, right? And Chris Olave is very, very good. As a second-year receiver, he's a star. And then you have the guy, Rashid Shahid, who we've been talking up since we saw him running behind defenses last year, and it's just like, that dude is legit. Mm-hmm. He's getting behind defenses every single week. And that's the formula to win. Like, good luck covering Chris Olave, Rashid Shahid, and Michael Thomas, and Jawan Johnson. Good luck. But then you have Derek Carr, who's... Other than, you know, the one pass to Shahid in the red zone, red zone was a disaster, again, much like it was with the Raiders last year. And he throws the ball right. It was a hooker on the interception, right? Throws the ball right to the defense mm-hmm. as they're in Titans territory. It's like if Derek Carr can just not get out of his own way, he should put up huge numbers the way the Saints have deployed these playmakers in the emergence of a Rashid Shahid, the return of Michael Thomas. But it only put up 16 points because of the turnovers and the weird plays and just being and also the offensive line just getting beat up and then on the other side Tannehill three interceptions four turnover worthy plays and just looked really bad and we talk about the overreaction of week one is this is this a Russell Wilson type of like the skill sets disappearing a little bit for Tannehill or is it just the Saints are a tough defense and they tend to do this sometimes yeah I mean he was just making some terrible decisions as well like there were just multiple like YOLO passes up towards DeAndre Hopkins where Nuke never had a shot at it because the, it wasn't just like, oh, to hell with it, Nuke's down there somewhere. But it was that and bad throw location. It was just horrific, ridiculous throws to nowhere. Like Tannehill has always been a pretty decent decision maker. You can question what else he brings to the table. But like that part has actually been pretty good. And... I don't know if it's just because Nuke is there and he's so much better than the other options that he's like, to hell with it. Let's try and give him a shot rather than find anything better. But that was awful decision-making from him um, and some terrible passes. And that, like, you can't, you can't do that and have any kind of success. It's ridiculous. So I, I thought at the end of the day, a lot of the, a lot of the preseason takes on both teams were true. But they were offset by these extremes. Like my, my final takeaway on this game is the Titans are tough. They're going to be tough, a tough out. But man, like Tannehill was so bad. I wonder if Mike Vrabel's actually thinking about I mean, not going to Malik Willis or right. Will Levis, but like he's got to be thinking, man, it'd be 
It'd be great if he didn't play that like right. that. That's but the, the Titans thing. are tough, right? They are physical up front, tough to run on, and it's a Mike Vrabel coach team that should be in every game, but Tannehill better not be turning the ball over. Right. And then the Saints playmakers, like they have the group of pass catchers that could be point, putting up 30 points a game as long as Derek Carr is making good decisions and in, in distributing the ball. Yeah, and, and Tennessee probably will be in every game. Um, I think this game probably shows you that. But, yeah, the Tannehill thing was ridiculous. Not only do you have the crazy YOLO interceptions, but his worst miss or his worst play might have been they had a trick play where they end up pitching it back to him, and he has a wide-open Chigakonkwo down the sideline and overthrew him by, like, five yards. Like, easy walk-in touchdown if he just hits an open target down the field, and he missed it completely. That I mean, that's that's seven points that doesn't go on the board with a simple routine miss. In addition to the turnovers you're creating by ridiculous decisions, just one of the worst Hannahill games I can remember. Um, d- truly awful. But I, I, so going back to what I mentioned at the start, the Titans also got absolutely screwed out of what I think should have been a defensive touchdown for them, um, and it was a ten point swing because once they ended up ruling, no, actually none of that happened at all. The Saints, you know, scored a field goal out of that. They Arden Key blew past Trevor Penning, which was a fairly regular occurrence in this game. Yeah, Penning was not good. No, and Arden Key was good. Didn't quite have the sort of they haven't turned him into an every down player. They're sort of splitting that side of the line. Like Harold Landry is playing every down on one side. Arden Key is kind of rotating, but still had a decent workload. Absolutely wrecked him and had one of those plays where you round the the tackle and you get your hand on the quarterback's arm as he's cocked about to throw, ball comes out. And then in the motion of throwing, he somehow like propels it forward, you know, as it's completely out of his hand. Um, the Titans scoop it up, run, run in and score. But it was one of those plays where they blew the whistle, like during the return, which I think is ridiculous anyway. Like in a world where they review automatically, not just every turnover, but every scoring play, let them run it through. It changes nothing if you just play it five more seconds, let them score the touchdown, and then check if it was legit or not. Whereas if you blow the whistle, the play is dead. So if it turns out you got it wrong and it was a fumble, you've just literally screwed them out of seven points by blowing that whistle. Let it play through. They didn't. And then they looked. So then they, they called it incomplete pass. Fine. Um Vrabel uh, challenges it and is like, uh, that's quite clearly a fumble. And even though you screwed us out of the touchdown, I would like the ball. And they don't. They somehow conspire to say, actually, no, it was an incomplete pass. So I think that was an egregiously terrible call that should have put a touchdown on the board for Tennessee. Yeah, that's crazy uh, at the end of the day there. I mean, the the pass rush for the um, Titans was good. Saints offensive line struggled. Um, but yeah, the Saints, Saints remain intriguing because of the pieces in the right place. But you mentioned Trevor Penning struggled. Cesar Ruiz struggled up front from a pass protection standpoint. They got to figure that out. You paid Cesar Ruiz. Oh man, he got yeah. Not going to say anything. The grades have not been great for Cesar Ruiz for that kind of money. It's amazing how keen teams are to want to reward, to want to throw money at former first round picks if they don't play running back. All right, that's the 1 o'clock games. Let's get to the fours. Green Bay Packers, 38. Chicago Bears, 20. I wasn't expecting this, Sam. I was not expecting this. Christian Watson hurt, does not play. Romeo Dobbs does play, despite the hamstring injury. Gets the two touchdowns for Dobbs. 
And uh, Jordan Love, stat line, looking pretty slick. Yeah, this Only is... 15 completions, but 245 yards and three touchdowns. This Sorry, is... I'm giving you the recap still. Yeah. This is one where, you know, the, there was games like Pittsburgh and San Francisco, and, it, you know, the, the result or the performance, you come out of it, you're like, yeah, that was pretty surprising. This is one where you're like, this wasn't surprising at all, and yet I didn't actually sort of predict it. Um, I kind of – we even talked about this on the preview show. Like, the Packers were the team where we were like, actually, do you think Green Bay might have something? And we never even – brought up the idea that Chicago could do anything this season. So it actually makes a lot of sense that Green Bay would be better than Chicago right out of the gate. Uh, I just kind of bought into this one-game hype, right? Like that the, the new playmakers in Chicago. And look, early on, you know, all the, you know, the yards after the catch that Fields had in the preseason, early on it looked like, oh, yeah, they're you know, yak-driven offense and the short stuff and everything. But the, the pocket presence for Fields, I thought, came back to bite again and inconsistencies in the past game. And then overall, the Packers just – had a good team and that defense you just never like who predict the Packers defense for me please you never know what year it's going to be where they finally start to play to their potential and I think we slept on the Packers defense a little bit because they underwhelmed so much last year compared to early season expectations and all of a sudden it's like oh by the way remember we were going to be good last year well it's kind of a similar group yeah no I mean it and we brought this up in the preview show like Last year's Packers defense was supposed to be the best defense that Aaron Rodgers ever played with, and it very wasn't. Um, but the talent was there. Like, there was a reason people were saying that and predicting that, and a lot of that talent showed up in a big way in this game. Um, I, I think we saw, again, confirmation that the Romeo Dobbs thing, there's something there. Like Romeo Dobbs is, is a good player, and he was causing some problems for the, the Chicago secondary. I think we also had this classic example of what is your takeaway from the dynamic between Green Bay's offensive line and Chicago's defensive line? Is that the Packers' offensive line is really good? Is that Chicago's defensive line is still garbage? Or is it both at the same time, which is part of the reason this game went the way it went, which was Jordan Love never really had to worry about pressure. Conversely, Justin Fields was under pressure a reasonable amount in this game. Man, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. What, the pre in the remember the preseason was the Packers Patriots game where the Packers had that game where they didn't allow a pressure right against the Patriots yeah. in that preseason game that ended in the fourth quarter. This game was close as of right now. We're still reviewing some plays here. The Packers were pressured. Uh, the Packers blockers allowed two pressures on thirty dropbacks. That's it. Mm -hmm. Two pressures now. The Bears had more than those two pressures. I'm just saying uh, as far as allowed pressures, not unblocked stuff that was designed or whatever. Two <coughs> pressures, 85 pass blocking grade for the Packers up front. The preseason game, I only bring up the preseason game because I feel like we had, we had never seen anything like that that was so dominant up front. The Packers' offensive line looks incredible. Zach Tom won the job at right tackle, and rightfully so. He's been outstanding. David Bakhtiari back. He's, the when healthy, you know, the best pass protector in the league, him and Ronnie Stanley and Laramie Tunsil right up there together. They look great up front. There was a couple other losses in there, whatever, but, man, the pass protection was outstanding for the Packers. No, it was. And that's also, from a Bears perspective, I know there's a little more optimism in Chicago coming into the season, and <laughs> poor Bears fans are like, oh, it's the same old thing. But they, it's they had it's, the worst defensive line in the NFL last year yes. by a margin. Like they were off 
on their own little area of a of a chart of of, of ineffectiveness on the defensive line, and they've changed players, but a lot of them were players that we didn't like. The players that they changed, like rookies, that they brought in Yannick Ngakwe theoretically has been a productive pass rusher, but it hasn't been for a while now, and he's been bouncing around a bunch of different teams. I don't know how much you want to be relying on him as your number one source of pass rush, and the results were the same. But like he Chicago had, I think he no had pressure. a sack, but like Jordan Love, I think, just ran into him. Yeah. But uh, this is, so, I mean, he's not a rookie, but you kind of throw Jordan Love into the same kind of bucket as, you know, young quarterback taking his first starts type of thing. One of the biggest differences between him and the other guys is he's working behind one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. And, okay, we can debate the talent level of the receivers that he's throwing to, though I think they're probably better than people give him credit for. But he's got an almost flawless platform basically every single snap. The difference between that and Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, you know, or any of those guys is significant. Um, Yeah. I completely agree. That is the, – the offensive line, I think, is one of the biggest stories for the Packers. And I just – look, I don't know that the Bears are going to be good this year or anything. So I'm, the part I'm not going to overreact to is that the Ryan Poles rebuild in Chicago is is just not – is not going to be good or anything. You know, I mean, it's it's early. He's overhauled the entire roster. And the whole thing we said in the offseason is he hasn't gotten to the defensive line yet. Now, I know they invested in second-rounder uh, Gervin Dexter – some other picks, Ngakwe, who you mentioned, uh, Demarcus Walker. I don't think the Bears have really gotten to the defensive line as far as getting it there. They invested in DJ Moore at at Playmaker. They've invested in the offensive line. They've invested in the secondary. They haven't gotten to the defensive line yet. They invested in linebacker heavily. They're not there yet. They're still another year away, I think, in the rebuild, Chicago. And as optimistic as maybe Bears fans were coming into the season, like you still have to remember – there's more to do as far as the rebuild. Now, on the negative side there, man, Aaron Jones, I hope he's healthy. He gets hurt on his um, – how long was that touchdown? 50? Yeah, Aaron Jones. 51-yard touchdown against your guy. Dusted him. Aaron Jones Edwards. absolutely smoked T.J. Edwards. Not just on that play, but there was another one as well where he, he completely wrecked him. Um, two different plays where Aaron Jones basically showed why T.J. Edwards was an undrafted player. It's like very good at football player, good instincts, like understands what he's doing, is usually in the right place at the right time, but sometimes the guy you're trying to cover is just faster and more agile and better than you are. And that happened to T.J. Edwards a couple of times in this game. Remember that happened to him in the Super Bowl as well, where like – you know, you're in the right place at the right time, but the problem is the guy you're covering is Travis Kelsey, and he's better than you are by quite a significant margin. That it feels a little bit like the linebacker equivalent of, you know, Orlando Brown, that sometimes you just run up against Miles Garrett and he's better than you are. That happened at Edwards a couple of times in this game and for big plays both times. Yeah, Aaron Jones was huge, big sort of differentiator in the game. Um, did you have you seen Fields? like passing map? No, I have not seen the map. He had four attempts, five attempts over 10 yards. One of them was 11 yards. Um, Of those attempts, one of them was a pick six. One of them was a completion. One of them was the touchdown to Mooney and then two more incompletions. Like his average depth of target was three point something yards. So they've sort of gone from a guy that only takes a deep shot to a guy that almost never takes a deep shot and everything was at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, that part I don't love. I don't love that at all. Um, 
did you see the first sack by Fields? I hate saying, did you see this? Because, like, there was thousands of plays yesterday. And, again, you see stuff that I don't see, whatever. The first sack, Lucas Van Ness tracks him down. It was really impressive. First-round pick for the Packers, Van Ness. The uh, Packers are rolling Fields out. And Van Ness, I mean, when some of it's speed. A lot of it's angle, though. Mm-hmm. Van Ness just takes a perfect angle to track him down. Just a really impressive play by the rookie who I think you you like a little bit more on the interior. He's playing on the edge here, shows good agility, tracks downfields. Really impressive play. One of, um, was it five total sacks? I got five with the negated plays here. Uh, five total sacks for fields, which – four officially, sorry. But, um, yeah, one was negated. Darnell Wright got whooped on one play. Um, fields got to cut down on those negative plays, especially if they're going to have this horizontal offense, the dink and dunk type of offense. Yeah, the Van that you're, that the, you're highlighting here. Right. The Van Ness one in the red zone as well. So like not a that was it was yeah, Fields was one of those plays where Fields was like pretty certain he had him for speed and then turns out he just didn't. Like he gave it the little hesitation and then decided he was gonna run around him and just didn't have uh just didn't have room really to do it. Van <laughs> Ness had the angle, never never got too aggressive and chased him sort of upfield, just kept flat, and Fields just ran out of field just ran out of sideline yeah there's another play I mean I think the Packers were just really well cut Devontae Wyatt had a similar he had a sack on a on a rollout right and this is why you don't always blame the offensive line for sacks Devontae Wyatt just went right to fields right yeah. no respect for the run game just goes right to him so I don't know if that's just predictability of the Bears hey we're gonna roll them out all the time and defenses are saying forget the run game for a minute go get fields right put pressure on him um, just don't let him get outside the pocket. But the play where Van Ness tracks him down, like that's the play where Fields looked so impressive and outran everybody in the NFL early, and now teams maybe keeping an eye on that a little bit more. Um, and then we've got to talk about the Quay Walker pick six because mm. that was one of the best returns I've ever seen. Incredible. I mean, he, he good play to start with, bad play by Fields to hit him. Um, but Walker's doing the return – and gets absolutely blasted by Roshan Johnson, I think it was the running back. Like he's, you know, working his way back, runs to the right. Roshan Johnson's actually sort of tees him up. He's, he ends up cutting back into Johnson, who just blasts him. And he just spins off it and keeps going. And then, you know, makes another guy miss, makes, uh, makes his way to the end zone, and then gets absolutely annihilated by Darnell Wright, I think, at the pylon, but gets over and scores. Great return. Well, I'm impressed by Green Bay. And uh, Jordan Love looks solid in his debut. But again, Luke Musgrave was behind the defense, the rookie tight end. Leak. Multiple times. One of them actually worked for a 37-yarder that <laughs> should have been a touchdown. Hmm. It was very awkward. And, uh, yeah, some big plays. That was one of those offense. ones where you're, you're wide the hell open for so long that you end up turning all the way around and just sort of waiting for the ball to arrive and then backing up as it shows up and then – Getting, you know, getting your feet tripped up. All right, let's go through the rest of the fours here. Las Vegas Raiders, 17. Denver Broncos, 16. Jimmy Garoppolo leading the fourth quarter comeback against the Broncos. It's, it was looking different early on. Hey, Russ is looking good and, you know, putting points on the board in Denver. It's 13-10 to 10 at the half, but you kind of had this similar drop-off for Denver like you got last year. Like, Russ wasn't bad from start to finish last year. He had these little chunks of good play within games it was the sustaining a full game that almost i think kind of crept back again in this one 
I mean, look, just like everybody expected, the Raiders are now in sole possession of first place in the AFC West. We did all, yeah, that's right. We did all expect that. Like everybody said it was going to be. Kansas City, <laughs> bottom of the division, maybe. Is it oversimplifying to say that the, hey, the Giants and the Vikings had all those one-score wins go in their favor last year and the Raiders didn't and maybe this year the Raiders are going to win their one-score games? Yes, yes, it is. Okay. It is oversimplifying. Let me just say, we, we talk a lot about Jimmy Garoppolo on the show and his limitations and everything. I thought he played really well in this game. He uh, had a pass that snuck through in the red zone that went off, I think it was Jacoby Myers' hands. That was just a really good tight window throw in the red zone that he didn't get credit for. But he's got the scramble on third and seven to kind of seal the deal. Jimmy Garoppolo does just enough to win. Still, he played really well in this game. He played well. Um, He's just going to be this fascinating case because, you know, I've, I've said before here, the analytics community will hate me. But, you know, QB wins over time probably get you there directionally. And Garoppolo has always won a ton of games. He's in, he was in the Shanahan system and everything. I'm just wondering if he's going to be that difference maker here for the Raiders. I'm not saying it's there in week one. I'm just, you know, something to keep an eye on here. Made some plays in the fourth quarter and played a really nice game for the Raiders. Yeah, he did. He played well. Um, he got hurt almost immediately. And you're like, God, this is... <laughs> like every time he takes off scrambling, you're like, don't stop. It hit the ground, slide when you have seven yards of open space in front of you. Don't let anybody get anywhere near you because you're about to hurt yourself. And then I wasn't sure what to expect. I because I wasn't keeping track on the Raiders backup QB situation. I was like, is Aiden O'Connell coming in? Really missed a trick there. No, Aiden Blair. O'Connell could have come in, thrown one big time throw, and gone back to the bench and maintained his record of just ridiculous uh, positive play. But no, we got Brian Hoyer instead. A couple guys to highlight for the Raiders. You know, when we were previewing the season and you look at the defensive depth chart for the Raiders, it's like, man, how is this going to work? It's Max Crosby and nobody. Max Crosby looked like a star again yesterday, all over the field making plays. Um, And then sometimes when you're watching on first run, you see a guy like a linebacker. It feels like this linebacker is all over the place. And then you go back and look at the PFF grade and it's not that great because – you know, again, there's there's a lot of misplays that you just don't see on broadcast. But Divine Diablo, just want mm. to give him a shout-out for the Raiders. Number five was everywhere in this game. And the grade actually matched up overall. <laughs> 90.7 coverage grade, it looks like it's going to be. Um, but Divine Diablo made a lot of plays. So I was impressed by the Raiders' defense and, you know, getting some decent performances, of course, by Crosby. But Nate Hobbs played well. Divine Diablo making a ton of plays at linebacker. Yeah, um... Shout out as well to Jacorian Bennett, the rookie corner, who ends up basically playing the whole game. He's entrenched as a starter now. Didn't have the best game in the world, but like he is, he's come from a pretty low draft spot to be a starting corner for this team. This game featured one of the best one-on-one matchups of the week. Patrick Sertan, PS2, against Devontae Adams. Oh, twice a year, man. It's and Adams is, yeah, up until now in the NFL, Adams has sort of won those battles. Like he's... We've kind of come out of those games, and Adams has been like, still got a little bit of way to go, you know, young pup. Like, you're not quite there yet. Uh, I think Sertan won this one. Like, Sertan had a, a few pass breakups, three of them, I think, forced incompletions. Um, I think generally had the beating of Devonta Adams, even with, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo playing well and Adams still looking like Adams. But then you see, in, you know, in exchange for, hey, we can't, we can't just feed Devonta Adams 15 targets because of that. It's Jacoby Myers, 
who we mentioned earlier in the show, is a perfect number two receiver. He gets two touchdowns. He's got the fade for a touchdown. Jacoby Myers runs good routes. He gets open. Um, he got absolutely popped late, later in the game by Kareem Jackson. Did not love, mm. did not love that play at all. Uh, but again, I think the Raiders have done a nice job building their playmakers. Austin Hooper had a ridiculous catch that maybe should have been incomplete. But um, Jacoby Myers is really good number two. Right when he's the number one in New England, not that he's always the one, but you know if you're relying on him too much. But there's games like this where you feed him ten targets because it makes sense. There's going to be other games where Devontae Adams goes off, and you know teams aren't taking him away, and they're not doubling him, or they don't have a Sertan, and Adams will get his 15 targets, he'll get his 150 yards. But when he's not there, when he when he's taken away, you have a Jacoby Myers to step up. So that's a lot of money for Jacoby Myers, but it paid off in this one at least for the Raiders. No, absolutely. Um, thoughts on Russell Wilson because it, he looked sharp. He completed a lot of passes. Looked sharp early on. Seventy-nine percent completions at the end of the day. He finishes twenty-seven for thirty-four, but for just a buck seventy-seven. So I thought early on Russell Wilson looked pretty good. Um, looked much more comfortable than he did last year. But yeah. by the end of the game, it, it's it's getting close, and the, the Broncos just they they were not able to get into this rhythm offensively. And it felt like he was, this is weird, right? Too quick to check down, too quick to get to throw the short stuff for yeah. Russell Wilson. That's not his game. But this was one where I thought Russ looked more like old Russell Wilson. And for the first time in Denver, you actually got the feeling that he was being let down by the players he was throwing to. Not necessarily because they weren't making plays, but simply because they're not good. And he didn't trust anybody to be open reasonably realistically so like little jordan humphrey had 25 receiving snaps in this game i mean when, the whole when, that, when that's yes. a starting option for you you have problems unfortunately I, the injuries yeah with jerry judy being out Tim right. patrick out for the season that's they, they that's didn't hurt. they didn't promote marvin mims which a lot of people thought they would do sort of heading into the season that oh well i guess without those guys mims is going to be a full-time starter and be you know the primary target next to Cortland sutton that didn't happen he only played like 15 snaps or 15 um receiving 10 receiving snaps so three targets one negated by penalty yeah. right like Cortland sutton was the primary target the only sort of guy you would trust but look at the, the just list the receivers in terms of number of passing snaps Cortland sutton number one guy fine little jordan humphrey number two adam troutman at tight end number three brandon johnson wide receiver number four like that's that's not enough like can't a passing game is not going to function with that as your receiving core. So we've gone from this weird world where Russ is going to cook because look at all these receivers he's got in Denver to, like, how can Russ cook because of these receivers in Denver? They only have Cortland Sutton. And even Cortland Sutton hasn't really shown that he can be that true superstar consistently. And who knows how many, you know, how much injuries have taken away from him in terms of his overall ceiling. So I actually felt for the first time in Denver that, this was not Russ's fault. Yeah. It's just like a weird um, stat, not a stat line, but like when you break down Russell Wilson's average depth of targets, 5.6 and his average, you know, average time to throw is 2.8. So you've got this low average depth of target, high time to throw. Those usually, high time to throw usually coincides with throwing the ball down the field to your point. How much of it is the receivers? But look, I've said, I'm a, you know, I'm a Marvin Mims fan. Like throw the ball deep to him. Just, He's he should get the Rashid Shahid treatment, the Khalif Raymond treatment. Like they deserve three or four deep shots a game, particularly when the receiving core is what it, you know what I just read out. Absolutely, like, there's 
There's no reason he shouldn't be getting more work than that. Take some shots to Marvin Mims, please, going forward. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't think Russell Wilson's really much of a story in this one. Um, By the way, right? the running backs for Denver. I mean, Samaji P. Ryan had a couple of nice plays, particularly in the past game. A couple of really nice. Javante Williams looked pretty good. Yeah. We're in this weird world of miraculous knee injury recoveries in the last few months across multiple sports. Javante Williams coming back, breaking four tackles, averaging three yards per carry after contact. Like, that man's knee should not be functioning right now, and he looks more or less like Javante Williams. Yeah, it's very impressive. Um, yeah, so the Raiders pull it out, man. AFC West. Yep. Leaders. Las Vegas Raiders. All right, let's go. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles 25, New England Patriots 20. What a weird game this was. A lot of, uh, a lot of rain. Tom the Brady. rain game. Throw it out. <laughs> rain game. Well, it was rainy early, um, and then it settled down a little bit, I think, weather-wise. But the rain, uh, Mac Jones kind of a slight overthrow off a of receiver's hands for a pick six. And that, like, slipped out of his hand, right? Yeah. Get, get, got a bit away from him with yeah. the rain. Yeah, a couple, he had a couple errant throws early. Then he settled down, made some big-time throws. Um, and then at the end of the game, you got Jalen Hurts fumbling when the Eagles are just trying to run out the clock. Gives the Patriots life, have a chance to score a game-winning touchdown what? with Tom Brady. And, you know, this is what Brady did. Tom Fourth Brady looked like he was ready to go out and play when he was, like, getting hype early in, the, in the, like, the, the start of this whole thing. Like, he was ready. They could have sent him out. <laughs> maybe, maybe it would have been a better option. Um, but he, yeah, he looked ready to go. But it was uh, all for naught, man. Uh, Mac Jones throws the ball along the sideline. Kayshawn Booty does not keep his feet in bounds, incomplete. Twice. Twice that happened. Um, yeah, just an interesting game overall because I thought uh, Eagles offense really didn't do a whole lot. There was, they, they were averaging three yards per play, they and they were anything. up 16-0 yeah. early on. They just – Remember how the Eagles would kind of like sleepwalk through the second half last year a lot? Yeah. They'd get up 28 nothing, or and then the second half they'd, you know, they'd, they'd end up winning 28 to 14, right? They didn't put any points on the board. The whole game felt like those halves last year that the Eagles just kind of sleepwalking and, you know, Jalen Hurts just kind of taking the underneath stuff, and that was it. Um, I also think the Patriots' defense played really, really well. Um, what were your takes, takeaways on this game? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the same things. The, that Eagles offense definitely didn't look good. They got out to an early lead, like a 16 nothing. Mac Jones with the, the interception that got away from him. Zeke Elliott fumbled as well in the, in yep. the rain. Um, so they're immediately up to a big lead. Now, that kind of works in two ways. Obviously, it's a great uh, starting point. But particularly at a team like the Patriots, a lot of ball game left. You know, there's a lot of time to pull that kind of deficit back. Uh, and they did. They started chipping away at it. Like, as soon as he'd made the mistakes and they got into the hole, like, Mac Jones started balling out and delivering all kinds of great passes. He had, a, like, four, I think, big-time throws in this game. Um, now, made some mistakes as well, but he delivered some absolute strikes. This looked a lot more like rookie year Mac Jones, where the good was really good. Um, and that Eagles offense wasn't doing anything. I, they made Rashad Penny, right, a healthy scratch going into this game. And that was like, oh, look, the joke's about seven yards per carry. I guess everyone looks a bit stupid now. So Kenneth Gainwell, as everyone actually did predict, was their primary running back. Jalen Hurts obviously did his part of running. DeAndre Swift barely featured, and Boston Scott was the other guy. Now, this is one of the few games where the Eagles' offensive line did not just lay waste everything in front of it in the run game. Um, 
And I kind of feel like Rashad Penny might have gotten a little more joy if he'd been carrying the ball rather than the players they had. So I don't think that helped. And if they're, um, I, that may be reassessed going forward. I'm not sure you want Rashad Penny of all those running backs to be the guy that isn't suited up uh, in case a game like this happens. But yeah, that offense did not do an awful lot. What a hit, by the way, on by Jabril Peppers to force the fumble yeah, on Jalen Hurts play. late in the game. That was when it was, what, a two-score game, right? And New England comes back, and they have a quick touchdown to make it a one-score game. Yeah, so they're Eagles, five down now with like four minutes left. Eagles are driving down. And then the Eagles, we would get into the decision-making and everything. The Eagles have a fourth and two to seal the deal, right? They can either go coffin corner punt or go for it fourth and two. Pass falls incomplete, and the Patriots have another. They have their final opportunity to, you know, make the comeback, and, and things fall short there. Um, yeah, I thought the Patriots were very good up front. I mean, the defense was sound. Christian Barmore played a really good game, the usual – um, just fundamentally sound play up front by New England and making life difficult for the Eagles. So I think it was both. Patriots defense was good. Eagles offense just kind of, it just looked like they were playing with a big lead and playing conservative and not really taking their chances. Um, from a Mac Jones perspective, I, he's a tough one to figure out because I think he does a lot of impressive things. You mentioned it looks like rookie year Mac Jones. You know how Mac Jones has this idea that like his, his arm's not great, velocity-wise. I think we expected this guy that's going to be like low big-time throws, take care of it. But he has these weird games like this one where it's four big-time throws that are legit. I mean, tight red zone throws, the, the post for a touchdown. I mean, very nice ball location. But also puts the ball in harm's way more than he should in some of these games. And then Tony Romo was hinting at there's all these passes where – um, he threw the ball like short of the sticks and Hunter Henry was going to catch and go upfield and Hunter Henry drops it. And Romo's suggesting the ball, like the ball's got to get there a little bit quicker. And I know all we're describing is arm strength, but like, I feel like my takeaway a lot of times with Mac Jones is he just doesn't have the RPMs on the ball to just get it there just a tick sooner. And even the Butte play where he should have kept the ball, his feet in bounds. And it's mm -hmm. like, it's a good throw. The accuracy is good. Is he, is he losing just a few RPMs? Like he's taking a pass that should have been a, a pretty easy completion and turning it into one that's along the sideline. Is he just not getting it there quickly enough velocity-wise? That's kind of still my question, I think, with Mac Jones. I mean, yeah. I, I, that last play, I think, was – that was unlucky for him. He – a fourth and 11, he puts a ball along the sideline that should have been caught and Butte manages to not – get his second foot in which is the second time in the game that he managed to to do that and kind of screw mac jones out of a couple of completions so i felt unfortunate for him that maybe i mean this is the reality of having not the, the justin herbert type of arm but i thought that was fine like i don't I, that got to where it was where it needed to be i don't know if that's the, the best example be i'm just saying overall i mean he floated one up to darius slay on a, that's not a velocity thing that's just like you Put too much air on a deep ball. Darius Slay should have had another interception on um, another one earlier in the game. Yeah. I mean, I just think he he deserved that completion, which would have made the game really interesting. Um, the other thing of note here, the Patriots' offensive line took a lot of heat this offseason. I thought overall they were fine, other than trying to block Jalen Carter. I mean, they, they did a pretty decent job against Hassan Reddick and a Josh Sweat and Fletcher Cox. And then Jalen Carter 
just looked unblockable at times. It didn't. I mean, you didn't see a sack. I don't even know if he had a hit. Um, he got one sack and a hit, uh, and no hits. But he was winning quickly. Mm-hmm. Jalen Carter. He is going to be an absolute problem, and especially if they, the rest of the guys, kind of underperformed up front. I thought for Philadelphia relative to expectations, but Carter played forty snaps, thirty-four rushing the passer. They're using him to just rush. And he's got a 92 grade. He had a pass rush win rate of 25%, which is ridiculous. That is stupid. Good. At any position. Yes. Jalen Carter might already be a top three or four pass rushing defensive tackle. And by the way, that workload was right up there. I mean, one of the questions was how much are you actually going to get him on the field? How much is he going to? Because remember, that Georgia defensive line, everybody rotates. Nobody plays more than you know a few hundred snaps. One of the big questions is, well, now that guy's got to come in and be Javon Hargrave. What he was week one. Like, he was Javon Hargrave and maybe then some. Yeah. Um, Eagles had a weird red zone play early on where nobody blocked anybody in empty. Jalen Hurts takes a sack Feels on third idea. down. This is this is what I'm saying. Like the Eagles settling for field goals on um, – they just didn't look sharp offensively at all. Jordan Davis had some really nice plays up front for the Eagles. And, again, New England's defense I think deserves a ton of credit. And I, and I thought Mac Jones played a – played a good game overall especially given some of the injuries they forget they have on the offensive side of the ball they're just missing that look the games where tom brady used to work some magic and make the comebacks i feel like mac jones you know takes a sack when he shouldn't like there's just a few of those plays missing when they need them and see how that ends up playing going forward for new england but um, eagles have to turn around here and come back thursday night to play the vikings but they move to one and oh the 25 20 victory that's as many problems as I've seen anybody give uh, Lane Johnson for a long time as well. The Eagles' offensive line across the board is a little bit creaky, but like Lane Johnson had had some issues in that game and almost usually is is flawless. All right, we got three more games to discuss here in the nine o'clock hour. Miami Dolphins thirty-six, Los Angeles Chargers thirty-four. If you like offense, this was a good one. It was the game of the day as far as the back and forth goes. And, of course, when there's a lot of scoring, people love it. But this was exciting. This was really incredible. Um, Tua finishes with 466 yards. That's over 300 more yards than he had last time against the Chargers. (laughs) 145 yards last time. The Chargers did such a good job on the Dolphins last December, but not in this one. The Dolphins, it was like, man, they just said, forget this. We're faster than you. We're better than you. And we're going to also scheme up some incredible plays for guys like Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. Tyree Kill finishes with 11 catches for 215. Chargers on the other side ran the ball like crazy. 5.8 per carry, 234 yards on the ground. Uh, obviously scored a lot of points, but uh, fourth quarter comeback opportunity for Justin Herbert. Falls flat, ends with a lot of pressure from the Dolphins. One of the few games where uh, 466 yards doesn't even get you close to the single game record for that team. What's that? Oh. Dan Marino. What's like, Dan got? Dan's got 521. Dan also has 473 and 470. <laughs> In oh, wow. fact, this is not even the single game record for Tua. Oh, he had the Ravens game last yeah. year. Yeah. So 466 yards managed to land him fifth in the all-time single game charts for the Miami Dolphins. I, I, I'm uh, unable to keep track of every last bit of news from training camp. But the game starts with the Dolphins just, boom, right off the bat. Chunk plays, chunk plays, chunk plays, and then Tua drops the snap. And they were saying in camp that it had been an issue, the center QB exchange, you know, which is like the basics of football. 
it happened three times. I think one was a shotgun snap, but Tua dropped three snaps in this game. I'm not sure, I'm not saying it was all his fault or whatever. That like if that didn't happen, the Dolphins might have 100 points. They the Chargers had no answers for Miami. Um, I think with uh, with Tua though, I was most impressed. Third down, fourth quarter comeback opportunity. He steps up in the pocket and look, Tyree kills incredible. Hits Tyree Kill in stride though with one of the, that might be the best throw I've ever seen from Tua. Looked awesome. And then did you see the route that uh, Renner is going viral with? No. Showing what uh, Tyree Kill did. They line him up at tight end, motion him out same side to the outside receiver, giving him the running start, and then he runs like a little double move thing. And you know Renner well, well captioned to go viral. He's like, there's not a cornerback in NFL history that could cover this, and I think he's kind of right. But that type of motion, like when you have Mike McDaniel scheming up plays with Tyreek Hill, and I know he had Andy Reid, but like uh, Mike McDaniel's doing some really nice stuff with Tyreek Hill getting him yeah, in space. Yeah, so the, yeah, I know that's the yeah the the play that stood out the most in this game. This was one of the more so last year the Dolphins Chargers game was a game where schematically this Mike McDaniel offense was given the most problems, right? And it was like McDaniel spent the entire offseason working to make sure that didn't happen again, to the point where he went and hired Vic Fangio. Like, they hired the coach that was the godfather of that defensive scheme. And, you, you know, these people are crazy enough that you can argue just for that, just to make sure that that game doesn't happen again. They went and hired Vic Fangio for their own defense. Um, and this was that play was one of the sort of changes that they made on – if you remember last year – the Dolphins were doing a ton of motion where Tyreek Hill was coming from one side of the formation, like flying across the line, and then they would snap the ball and he would immediately turn upfield with a running start, like, like already at full like speed. Like it's the CFL. Yeah, but the distance that he had to travel, like going from one side of the formation to the other, would allow the defense to, to uh, adjust and call something, you know, move, rotate safeties, like change how they were matching up during the time he's running across from one side of the line to the other. What they did in this game a lot was plays like this, where he's lining up on one side of the formation and staying on that side of the formation, but still going in motion. So they would just like let him start sprinting five yards laterally and then turning upfield with a full head of steam already. So it did look a little bit like the CFL, where they have that running start, but he was keep it was much quicker. So the Chargers couldn't change anything while it was happening because it was just already the play was about to start. And all this did was like put a DB on an island against a Tyreek Hill who's already at, at a full head of steam, at which point, as Renner says, not a chance. You're dead in the water. No shot. Um, it didn't help that the DB in question half the time was J.C. Jackson, who's coming off a torn knee. And you're like, what? Dude, you're, you're isolating J.C. Jackson coming off his knee injury with Tyreek Hill with a full head of steam? How do you imagine that's going to go? Yeah, I mean, J.C. Jackson had that one interception, which was probably of all, you know, the entire game, to his most questionable decision. He throws a jump ball to J.C. Jackson in the third quarter. Um, it was, well, it wasn't to J.C. Jackson. It was to Braxton Berrios. J.C. Jackson towers over Braxton Berrios um, and picks it off. But other than that, Chargers did not have much success covering. They got to figure it out defensively, man. But Chargers, because like, they've got so much talent. I mean, impressed by the Dolphins. That was outstanding. Yeah. But the Chargers, like, this is supposed to be their thing. But, like, Miami came into this game, and it was like they had learned all the lessons from what went wrong the last time. The Chargers came into this game, and it was like they had learned no lessons 
They had no lessons to teach either. They just had nothing. They it was what they had no answers at all on defense. And it's another, you know, black mark against a coach who was hired for his defensive prowess. That's like if your defense is getting I mean, you got outcoached in this game. This was one of those games where one side of the ball got outcoached. And that well, then what do you bring into the table? Because like the overall team hasn't necessarily progressed the way you would want it. Now, the one thing you would say in Brandon Staley's favor, I guess, is that the Kellen Moore thing worked week one. Kellen Moore coming in, Justin Herbert was a little bit more aggressive. The offense generally had some success. So you're like, all right, if that was your decision, that move has worked, fair play. But the thing that you're supposed to be bringing to the table here, defensive knowledge, and the defense that is causing this type of offense the biggest problems, just got eviscerated. Yeah, I saw. I want to apologize to uh, backup left tackle Miami Dolphins, Kendall Lamb. Okay. Because I tweeted out his worst play. You did. So you know it might. Uh, it might you know tell the wrong story. Miami held up really well against this Chargers pass rush, and I think part of my Chargers optimism was that Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. Well, okay, we got a full season of those guys now. Neither guy hit. Tua knocked him down. There was one time Tua got hit in this game with Kendall Lamb in there for Teron Armstead. Isaiah Wynn steps in and plays. Um, Miami's offensive line, which we've questioned a lot over the last three or four years, was really, really good in this game from a pass pro standpoint. So I want to give credit there properly. The Kellen Moore thing that you're saying, it was interesting because this looks like what Brandon Staley wanted this offseason. We're going to run the ball a little bit more. And they ran the ball a ton. There was a point in the game where they had like 30-plus 30, 30 carries and Herbert only had 20-something attempts. Whereas last year, there was a lot of games where Herbert's up at 45-50 attempts and they've run the ball seven times, right? So they did have this quote-unquote balance. Austin Eckler had a nice 55-yard run. And they were creating some, some chunk plays in the pass game. Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, and the whole thing. Um, but it was just lacking at the end, right? And the, the Dolphins got them with multiple blitzes down the stretch and that's always my question with a new offense how do how does the new offense handle the blitz early in the season communication making sure you know where your hots are making sure you know who's getting picked up and the Chargers didn't have answers for Vic Fangio's blitz at the end of the game which I thought oh I mean it ended up being the key right I mean Herbert's got the ball Miami misses the extra point right to give the Chargers life only up two and the Chargers have plenty of time to lead a fourth quarter comeback, and the Dolphins cracked down at the end there. So I think overall, Kellen Moore experience was fine, um, but they didn't have answers for the blitz at the end of the game. No, they didn't have answers to that. Um, their defense couldn't stop them at all. They also, like, remember, so it was, it was like tied at the half, right? Or it was about to be tied at the half. And then the Chargers, just a ridiculous like they, how many seconds were left before the half when they got the when Miami got the ball back? They give up a really easy, pretty decent completion to to get that drive moving, and then the next play, an absolutely absurd defensive pass interference penalty. Absurd in terms of what the hell were you doing? That was dumb. Yeah. Uh, that gave Miami a field goal, which they converted, and that ended up being the difference in the game. Like <laughs> it was quite quite an impressive. That was some pretty hard charging by the Chargers. Like that, that was pretty dumb. 
Can't, can't do that. Quentin Johnston, the rookie first rounder for the Chargers, had three targets. At first, I was nervous because they were using him on like jet sweeps and they used him on the shovel pass that went, that fell incomplete. So I was thinking they were using him as like a satellite space player. They had him on a couple vertical routes, but Herbert did overthrow him before the half. But they didn't, didn't use Quentin Johnston a whole lot. But again, I thought the Chargers offense wasn't the problem. Their inability to rush the passer. Huge question. That's one now. of the worst games Joey Bosa has played in the NFL. Like he and was, he had it, he had that one incredible rush on Kendall Lamb, and then he yeah. grabbed the face mask. He was pretty anonymous in that game for a guy that's usually a difference maker. But, I, look, I want to give all the credit to Miami's offense. Now, their defense also didn't look great until the end, but give credit to that offense. They looked like they did early in the season last year. And remember early in the season they were putting up a lot of yards but weren't always putting up points. They did it all in this game. They were and, explosive, and if they just stopped dropping snaps, they could have put up 50. And they showed that evolution of the offense, which, you know, we uh, scheme, which we keep talking about. Like, it's one thing to have a system that works, but then what do you do when the opposite side of the ball figures out a way to counter that? Can you come up with the next iteration? That was the next iteration for Mike McDaniel. All right, two more games. Los Angeles Rams 30, Seattle Seahawks 13. Got to admit, this was a big surprise for me. Yeah. I was surprised by this outcome. Uh, very impressed by the Rams and their young team. All right, all offseason, we're talking about the depth chart. Doesn't make any sense. It's Matthew Stafford. It's Aaron Donald, a couple more veterans, and a whole bunch of unknowns. Well, some of the unknowns became knowns. Puka Nakua finishes with 119 yards, as does Tutu Atwell, both at 119. Tutu becoming a bit of a deep thread here for the Rams, which was fun to see. And this was the good Matthew Stafford. The thing I used to always say when he was in Detroit, there'd be three or four games a year where he looked like a top three quarterback. That was Stafford in this game. Big time throws left and right. Just, you know, you saw those end zone replays and he's thrown into these windows that don't even exist or he's anticipating them. Stafford looked awesome. And I thought the entire preseason, the buzz was Stafford's healthy for the first time in multiple years, including the Super Bowl run. And he's looking sharp. And I didn't know what to make of that information because everything around him looked like right. it was bad. But I don't know, man. That was very impressive by Stafford, but the Rams as a whole, the way their offensive line played, the youth played, and then Stafford looking elite in this game. Yeah, we had a couple of emails on our bet show. One of them was the Barbarian. It's like, Barbarian's getting 10 sacks. Well, after one week, that looks pretty good. And then the other one was somebody saying that the Rams, I forget what the exact bet was, but it was like the Rams are going to be way better they're going to be better than the Seahawks, whatever it was. So something like that. And coming out of this game, you're like, huh, maybe that one was right as well. And his argument was essentially they have the best quarterback, they've got the best pass rusher, they've got the best head coach. Like they're, they're set up in, in several really important ways to be good. Um, and you're like, yeah, but the ways they're not good are problematic. Well, one of the ways they weren't supposed to be good, look at the receivers that played in this game. Puka Nakua, rookie, Tutu Atwell, hasn't really done anything yet. Van Jefferson, uh, Ben Skoranek, who moonlights as a fullback, and Demarcus Robinson, who's not good. Those are their five wide receivers that played snaps in this game. You're like, if you were told that going into a game, you're like, this passing offense is going to stink. And yet, two of those guys had 119 yards, and Matthew Stafford looked as good as he's ever looked. I mean, if that's going to manifest throughout the season, the Rams will be different than people expected them to be. And by the way... This was kind of the same story with the offensive line. Like a group that you're like, 
is going to be problematic and cause problems. Steve Avila, rookie Joe Noteboom, who, you know, has been bouncing around different positions and looked bad. Uh, Alaric Jackson, uh, Coleman Shelton, and Rob Havenstein, the one, like, ever-present that's always there and good. I mean, that's a group that you're like, that's one of the worst offensive lines in the league. And they didn't allow basically any pressure. They were good. I mean, those are the two biggest weaknesses maybe on the team ended up being strengths. Yeah, man. It was – look, I'm – I'm really impressed. I mean, this was this was fun. Stafford, man, he he had 40 attempts, 11.9 average depth of target. It was aggressive. Stafford. Now, he can't do this every week. Like he can't play at this level every single week. But this was the thing that he would do in Detroit, where they had no run game. And I want to I want to highlight one of the funniest stat lines in the NFL this week. Cam Akers goes 22 carries for 29 yards, and he had a long run of 12 which means the other 21 carries went for, what, 17 yards for Cam Akers? Just saying. When, when people used to make excuses for Stafford and say he has no run game in Detroit, this was like a Detroit game. They weren't uh, – Kyron Williams had two really nice runs on the goal line, had their two touchdowns, first two touchdowns. But they didn't have much of a run game. Stafford's just – not YOLOing, but being aggressive down the field, throwing to Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell. Both guys did a great job. Puka – you know, I liked him during draft time. The contortionist made an awesome catch along the sideline. He looked good. Um, this was like a Detroit-type game for Stafford, elite Detroit game for Stafford. So I don't know what to make of that going forward for the Rams other than they're going to be more fun than I anticipated because of all these young players that we're seeing. Um, and especially when Cooper Cup went on IR, it's like, what What are they going to do? Yeah. But they looked so good in this game. The most impressive and thing. They controlled it. They just they, they ran, what, twice as many plays as the Seahawks. Yeah, the most impressive thing about it was it didn't get it didn't go in their favor early. Like, Seattle was winning early in the game. It was pretty even. And then the Rams, as the game progressed, pulled away and sort of established themselves as the better team over the course of the, the full 60 minutes. Like, if we were painting a picture of a way the Rams would win this game heading into it, you would be like, well, you know, a couple of things will go weird or bounce their way early and they'll get out to a lead and then, you know, it'll the game will get away from Seattle. And it wasn't that at all. Like, the Rams just sort of established themselves as better in this game as it went on. Um, the other thing that really jumped out was, I mean, Aaron Donald is still Aaron Donald. Like, he's, he's still a problem. He's still a wrecking force. He's still able to beat up on offensive lines. Um, Don't write him off yet. No, do not. Um, Overall, I don't know. The Rams' defense was was pretty good. Geno Smith, meh. You know, I thought Geno ends up with like four yards per attempt. I thought he'd be a little bit more aggressive, especially as they're falling behind, and it just, just wasn't there, man. The Seattle team disappointed in all the ways that they were supposed to be good. Now, I'm not ready to write Seattle off either because week two last year, they got shut out by the Niners, right? They got shut out, and it was like, ah, it's Geno Smith. Guy's never been a starter in the NFL. So week two last year, they looked horrible, and then they, they continued to bounce back. Pete Carroll's had them bouncing back, and I'm sure, I'm sure he will. But this was, uh, this was a dud for Seattle. Plus, for the last five years now, I've been watching the Seattle pass rush. When's the pass rush going to get here? They're investing in all these second-round edge defenders. They bring in Draymond Jones and nothing against this Rams offensive line that you said was impressive. Yeah, Seattle gets nothing. And, um, yeah, this was 
laid an egg across the board here in Seattle and impressed by what the Rams did. Yeah, the complete and total lack of pass rush from Seattle would be a big concern for them. Like this, it's not like the Green Bay uh, Chicago conversation where like, is it this offensive line is really good or that defensive line is really bad? Because it could be either, knowing what we know about those two units. It's like that should not be the same conversation for this this dynamic because there's no evidence to say that Rams offensive line is good. So why was Seattle's defensive line, why was their pass rush not better? All right. Down to our last game. Doing a quick review, make sure. Do we touch on every game, everybody? Chat's bumping right now. Appreciate everybody being here live on a Monday morning. We're almost two and a half hours in. Keep the energy up for the last game, Sam. Okay. Dallas Cowboys 40, Giants 0. <laughs> Sometimes the Sunday night game, it's like it's the last game we're talking about and you got to really bring it. There's a – man, what a bad game this was. Well, it was a rain game, so it doesn't mean anything. It was a rain game. The, the best thing the Giants did, the opening drive, the Giants are cooking, man. They got the <laughs> run game going, misdirection. They're moving the ball. They're moving it. They're moving it. Get stopped in the red zone. Let's just line up for a field goal. Let's take, we'll take the three. We'll be up. Three nothing on the favorited Dallas Cowboys. It's kind of funny how. And then, but but then I didn't finish. No, I know that. Then the field goal was blocked in return for a touchdown. Yeah. And then things got bad for the Giants after that. Well, yeah, they were bad then, and then they got worse and worse and worse. It's kind of funny how a lot of these games that end up in absurd blowouts in one direction or the other, you know, forty to nothing. Um, often start with the team that got whooped doing quite well, like the opening drive. Remember when the Vikings lost the, cha- the NFC Championship game to Philadelphia by some similar 40-whatever beat down? Like, they scored first. Like, their opening drive was like a yes, touchdown. You're like, wow, right. this is going well. And then from that moment on, they just got stomped to death. Um, it's weird. Like, the Giants on that opening drive look good. Again, Daniel Jones kept making plays with his legs. It's like, how long, how many times does this guy have to kill people on the ground before you actually accept that he's a real rushing threat? And then from the moment that field goal was blocked, nothing went the Giants' way for the rest of the game. The Giants have been outscored 78-7 to in their last two games. That's not great. Both against the two top teams in their division, the Eagles in the playoffs. They lost 38-7 to and then 40 to nothing yesterday with Dallas. Yeah. Now, all that said, I think let's give a glimmer of hope maybe for the Giants. Their defense played pretty well, I think, in the yeah. rain game. The defense was fine. Like, the defense didn't give up all those points, really. No. It was all short fields and turnovers. Like, the offense was an absolute disaster. The defense itself was not a I don't train wreck. the defense played well. I'm – Listen, it was a 40 to nothing game. The defense was the strength of this game. Well, yeah. I mean, on the basis that it wasn't the offense and it probably wasn't the special teams after getting a field goal blocked. That's it, correct. It had to be the, the defense. I still don't think it was good. I mean, remember, heading into this game, Dallas didn't have Tyler Smith at guard. They then lost another player midway through the game. Like, they were down to third-string guards, and the, the Giants, who had – their, their strength on the defense should be the defensive line wasn't really doing that much. Like, they weren't able to exploit even that to get anything done. We've seen the Cowboys do this before. Uh, it, it, some, it was against the Eagles' backups one year, but they had this other – oh, it was against the Colts last year, right, when they just absolutely destroyed them, like 33 nothing in the second half. Yeah. 
But the Cowboys have these games where just everything goes right, and you see three-phase domination. Kickoff return for a touchdown. They had a pick six. Seven sacks of Daniel Jones felt like 15. <laughs> I mean, this was top to bottom Dallas absolutely wrecking the Giants and looking like maybe the best all-around team in the NFL. And I guess I was trying to give credit to the Giants' defense a little bit because, like, I don't think like the Cowboys' offense wasn't great. I mean, they didn't do much through the pat through the air because they didn't need to. They ran the ball effectively with all their lightning and lightning running back, Sam. Remember we talked to – they don't need thunder. Who needs Zeke plodding for three yards per carry when you have all these dynamic rushers like Tony Pollard and Rico Dowdle and Deuce Vaughn? Just go lightning and lightning. Tevante Turpin with a touchdown. I mean, Dallas just looked good across the board, man. Yeah. Obviously. I'm stating the obvious here. Yes. No, they did. I mean, <laughs> when you win a game 40 to nothing, you probably looked pretty good. Uh, I like that play you tweeted out, Micah Parsons. Like, the the Giants decided to double-team Micah Parsons and took the other rusher and just like, whatever, we're Mike, not going to block him. Yeah, Micah Parsons was insane in this game. I mean, this was, again, we we'd said this with Miles Garrett, right? There are going to be a lot of candidates for Defensive Player of the Year this year, all of whom are deserving. Um you know, T.J. Watt, we talked about absolutely destroying McKivitz at right tackle. Miles Garrett was a massive difference maker for that game. There's just a list of them. But Micah Parsons had a game where you're working through. You're like, I don't know how you stop that. Like, he's just destroying people. They had a screen. Like, Evan Neal almost gave up a sack and a screen because Micah Parsons just breezed past him like he wasn't there. It's, in, it's madness how quickly he can beat people. It's, it's a lot like... Von Miller, you know, in his prime, where he would just like swoop past people and they don't even get a hand on him at right tackle. Von Miller, it, it sounds weird to say it, but Parsons might be able to win in more ways than Von Miller did. Like his real party piece was that inside sort of move that Von Miller had where he would just swing in and the guy wouldn't even get fingers on him. Michael Parsons is doing that. He's running right over the top of people, he's beating them on the outside. He's just annihilating everybody. And, yeah, there was that play where they double-teamed him with the left tackle and the left guard. And I don't think they were intending to do this, but, frankly, if they had, I would have understood. He just he was causing so many problems for that double-team that nobody could come off the block and go get the guy on the edge who just had a free run to walk to the quarterback and sack him. Like, that's the perfect example of a play where I don't know that he even got pressure on that. He probably got zero statistical um, you know, production out of that play, but Micah Parsons created a sack by basically being unblockable with one single human. You needed to dedicate the entire left side of the offensive line to try and stop him on that play. Consequently, somebody was uh, was completely unblocked. He, I mean, this was signature, you know, defensive player of the year type of play. He was unstoppable. Speaking of defensive player of the year, former defensive player of the year, Stephon Gilmore, has been added to the team. Right, He won one, didn't he? Um, he looked good as well. Like the two offseason additions I was most that – that I referenced 900 times mm -hmm. were Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Cooks. They didn't need Brandon Cooks a whole lot. He did have – I think it was a key third-down conversion. Yeah. Um, they didn't need much Brandon Cooks. But Stephon Gilmore looked good out there, had a pick, and – that's what makes Dallas scary, man. They can win the, what I described with the Eagles last year. Win with pass rush, win with coverage in the back end, win with the run game. And we didn't even see Dallas have to lean on the pass game, which I still think is one of their strengths because of C.D. Lamb and Brandon Cooks and Dak running the show. And Trayvon Diggs ends up having a great game 
with forced fumbles. <laughs> he wasn't even in coverage necessarily, but he had the he had the big pop on Saquon Barkley that got the ball out and forced a fumble. And then later, ring game. Yeah, the Giants finally get like one good thing break their way, right? Like a, a catch and run by Isaiah Hodgins looks like it's going to get their biggest play of the day, and Trayvon Diggs just like hawks him down from behind. Pulls the ball out. You're like, nope, you're not even getting that. Shutout is going to be secured. You get nothing in this game. Um, from a Giants perspective, whole offseason, you pay Daniel Jones. You give Saquon Barkley a $900,000 raise. That's bring right. in Darren Waller and just an absolute dud on Sunday night football. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest, the biggest losers in this, though, were uh, Chris and Mike Tirico. They're just trying. They were pulling out every they got story to, they could. I think that's good for them, though. They get a lot of fun where they just get to talk about random stuff. I know, but it's so tough, and they're trying to keep viewers like stick with us. I know it's it's a beat down and it's raining, yeah. and the Giants can't even like, block anybody. But stick talk, with us. We're gonna talk about Paris. We're gonna dive into somebody's you know childhood history. Like they got all kinds of stuff. By the way, that Tony Pollard story. He was were, four years old. That playing. sounded quite a lot like child abuse. They're throwing a four-year-old out there with throwing seven-year-olds? A, they're throwing a four-year-old out there and tackle football against seven-year-olds, and his first drill was tackling a line of players. Like, dude, you can't do that to a kid? What are you talking about? You should have seen him. He's a stud. And they're like, ah, but he loved it. Look at him now. The NFL running back. <laughs> That's called training. That guy, Chris Nowinski, the, you know, the brain dude at Harvard or whatever, would be like, I, I, I should check his, his Twitter feed. He was probably going insane at that story. No, he wasn't listening by then. That's the thing. You could drop those stories <laughs> once everybody's left the game. I just, that sounded bad. It's like, uh, here's a fun story about his childhood. What yeah. a beatdown. It doesn't, it doesn't sound that good. Cowboys-Jets next week. So, the, but this was another one of those dynamics, right? Is the Giants offensive line this bad or is Dallas's pass rush this good or both those things happen at the same time? Because Evan Neal wrecked all game long. That was supposed to be, he needs to take a big step forward. Mark Lewinsky at guard, annihilated. Um, John Michael Smith, the rookie center, didn't play particularly well. That's three-fifths of the offensive line that was getting wrecked fairly regularly. I think it's both. I think it's definitely both. Dallas is going to do that, right? You always mention, even if you have an average offensive line, which we preach, yeah. when you go up against the best pass rushes, that's still probably not good enough. That was like Carolina in the Super Bowl against Denver back in 2015. Carolina's offense, offensive line was fine, but when you go up against Vaughn Miller and Demarcus Ware and friends, it's challenging. So Dallas is that good, and the Giants, they'll be better in non-Dallas games, but yeah, Cowboys look legit. There's a lot of friendly fire in the uh... – in NFL yesterday. I was just looking through Nowinski's timeline to see if he was bitching about that thing. Did you see Vita Vea take out Levante David? No, not. <laughs> they not. Uh, it's 9.34. It's time to wrap I don't even up. know what Vita Vea was doing, but he absolutely murdered him. Oh. And then They're on the same team. Mike Williams uh, seemed to get concussed by like an accidental collision with a linebacker. They did you know a sort of stacked release thing, and the linebacker was just fighting through the traffic and just like took out Mike Williams on his on the way through his release. I saw he was down for a bit. I wasn't sure exactly. I think I don't know if he actually is in the concussion protocol, but he was hit in the head and was down for a while. So I'm assuming yeah. that was concussed. Well, we still have one more game to go. Jets and Bills tonight. Of course, we previewed that on our preview show, which we appreciate. A lot of people ended up uh, watching that and listening to that. So we appreciate everybody that's listening and watching and. If you're new here, some of you have just joined 
for this season. We're doing this every single week. This is us, Monday morning, reviewing every single game for about two and a half hours. That's our pace, no matter how many games are being played on that Sunday. So join us every single week. We'll be back again. Are you back here tomorrow talking draft mm-hmm. with well, Trevor? And Monday Night Football. We'll do a we got Monday Night Football tonight. Um, are we going to do a quick reaction after that, maybe? I don't know. We created a new world. Follow us on Twitter, at PFF underscore Steve and uh, at PFF underscore Sam. We've got this, uh, I don't know, new world where maybe we'll do some, some quick reaction stuff, if, if you guys are interested. Um, and then the Madden codes, we already got questions about that. Those are in the Discord. We're going to announce those later today in the Discord. All right, you got to get to the Discord in the YouTube chat here. We're going to give people a little bit more time. We'll do it just before Monday Night Football. That sound good? Mm-hmm. Do it just before the game tonight, maybe at halftime. Okay. So get into the Discord. you got time to do that. Hit the thumbs up on the way out here on YouTube. If you're listening and not watching, you got to go to the YouTube and get to the Discord. That's it. Is there anything else? No. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Enjoy Monday Night Football. We'll be back again tomorrow and Wednesday and every day this week.